The Protect Your Neck Podcast. Flashback edition. Relevant news up front. Top five walkouts and back. Strapping. and girls this is the protect your neck podcast and i am your host dan tom analyst's work you can find over at mmajunkie.com and on this year program the protect your neck podcast we break down high level mma that's what we're kind of kind of do here today in a slightly different way as noted off the top this is a flashback episode so uh check the timestamp. the back half will be uh top five walkouts in mma which was originally recorded back in I want to say June of 2017, so over two years ago, nay, almost two and a half years ago now, with a special guest at that time and regular here at the show, Jordan Killian. But, uh, you know, just, just despite cringing listening to me and still saying, you know, uh, just certain things over and over again that I tried to wire out of my system, not bad things, but by the way, just like verbal tics. And anytime you go back and listen to yourself, by the way, if you've got a decent sample size, you will just... Uh, I don't know, I, I kind of just hate looking or listening to myself in general, but I'm like, ugh. This one's not that bad, though, I will say, and, and that's in large part to Jordan. And although there are some dated references, um, there are a lot of... Uh, <laughs> there is a lot of uh, fun stuff. Uh, there, there's a lot of fun, fun stuff, uh, fun samples, fun music tracks, fun references... Um, that actually date quite well, I would say. So uh, worth the listen. So I, I selected that for this flashback edition for what is relatively a light week. Um, it was kind of crazy on my end, as you know, kind of things getting booked and rebooked with my mother's surgery. Uh, I was going to sit down and do this during Thanksgiving, but um, some projects came up, which I'll touch on briefly here before we get going as well in my notes here, as well as some family stuff. Obviously, it's Thanksgiving, so I'm sitting uh, with you here on Black Friday. But, hey, you know, I'm actually, uh, you know, kind of selfishly glad the uh, the operation didn't go down today. This was the original day my, my mother's uh, surgery was scheduled because uh, uh, actually, you know, my, my mother lost her mother, my grandmother, just a couple years ago on this day and Thanksgiving without getting too in-depth. But uh, not a great time for me or my family. A lot of, uh, a lot of either family members being lost or a lot of house hopping and just crazy stuff from perhaps for another podcast, folks. But um, so I, I, I really try to kind of admit my bias and not try to be the be the Grinch on holiday season <laughs> as best I can. But Thanksgiving is a tough one because even personal family bias BS aside, I never really was a big fan. Even as a kid, I was like, this is pretty imperialistic shit here. What about the, uh, what do the Indians have to say about this? <laughs> you know? And then also as a kid and even as an adult, I mean, I tried so hard yesterday and there was some, some pretty decent stuff at the table. I just, I don't like Thanksgiving food. Again, I'm not trying to be a Grinch and I know I'll go contrarian Dan Tom. I'm not trying to play the character, be that guy, believe it or not. Um, but So so I, I really do genuinely wish you guys love, like I said in my, my social media posts, and hope you, you genuinely did have a good Thanksgiving for those of you who enjoy it, not hating on it, 
but you know, people perhaps and hopefully not as weird and, and dramatic as mine, but everybody kind of, you know, not everybody, but, you know, there are a, a decent sect of people who the holiday season for one way or or another, you know, can be rough. So we don't often think about those in, in general. And as a society, especially in today with social media, we're only posting kind of our best moments on Instagram and all that stuff. We really get lost in, in our sense of realities, and that's why social media can be very, very unhealthy. So I always, again, you know, a fan of the underdog, right? Um, that's kind of my bias, and that that goes that precedes just MMA, folks. Um, always, always looking out for my brothers and sisters, uh, less fortunate and, and in worse situations, you know, um, because we don't need a holiday to be grateful. That's another reason. There's plenty of reminders to be grateful. And rounding this back to MMA, folks, we are going to be be, be um, pushing through here. I don't want to hang up on any one thing too long but you know rounding back into mma even with an art you know quote-unquote sport and as serious but at the same time silly as something as cage fighting can be right it's serious because there is martial arts as an aspect to it hence mma and of course we should you should and of course i do being that to a lesser extent of course participated respect those who compete all that stuff but of course it is silly and cage fighting. And nevertheless, despite that that cross section and dichotomy that I just laid out, if you will, serious news will stumble upon our doorstep. Which, as previously mentioned, it's sad. But if there is any silver lining at all, this terrible situations. Of course, I'm referring to the recent news or confirmation of recent news and and, and rumblings in regard to uh, Anaya Blanchard, Walt Harris's uh, stepdaughter, uh, which. Practically should, you know, you don't got to be blood to be family, folks. But, um, but yeah, I guess I, I don't even want to say silver linings for something like that. But if anything, they just serve as, should serve as reminders uh, so that they, they, these sad, incredibly sad and unforgivable things at least don't happen in vain. And, um, and man, you know, it's, it's, it's a big reminder, you know, I'm just hanging out with my nieces and ne niece and nephews and, you know, they're all kind of checked out. My my nephew is just like, uh, you know, <laughs> I love we could smart kid, but you know, uh, you know, any other one too uh, in the middle, Logan, pretty much. But he's in that kind of that, they're you know the video game phase where you just essentially you know you're just you know sliding food under the door and they're opening the door occasionally to you know <laughs> push out buckets of feces and urine. <laughs> they don't leave their room. They just play video games. Um, Whereas as the uh, the niece, you know, she's she's only well, she's how old is Bella? Like nine or so, but it just like you know, she's athletic, big. She teach her a few things, and she picks up things naturally. But uh, I've not been able to sell any of the kids on martial arts. You know, kids these days, the technology age, it's just so crazy. Nothing impresses them. You know, like uh, you know whether you know whether it's like. Like, I'll pick them up, and I'll be like, hey, you know, tr trying to, you know, I've been picking up a lot more family duties lately, and I'll, I'll pick them up, and be like, hey, you know, and I, I love it, you know, I, I have this guilt, I don't feel, especially my, this, uh, the younger nieces and nephews, I wasn't a part of their life that much this past couple years, so I'm, I'm, I'm really glad to be involved, like, you know, so I'm like, hey, what do you, want to be the cool uncle, right, like, what do you guys want to eat, I'll take you anywhere you want to go, you name it, like, eh, whatever, just go home, games or da 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 and I'm like oh take me home so I go to my friend's house like okay you guys don't want to no you know and and, and uh like like because when I was a kid it was just like I wasn't poor by any means but my parents were very cheap 
um, especially when it was a dual parent household as opposed to a single parent household, which kind of doesn't make sense. But we rarely like there were no sodas ever in the house. We rarely ever ate fast food. Most all the f- food were home cooked meals. Like I would go to my friend's house and be like, "What sodas? You guys go to." Taco Bell? Yeah, yeah, what do you want from Taco Bell? I'm like, I've never been here before. Like, you know, like, like I mean, like, like literally, like, friends' parents looked at me like a fucking feral child. Like, what the fuck is this deprived kid? So for me, it's like, you know, these kids these days, it just, like, nothing gets them going. And rounding it back to the martial arts thing, folks, I'm always just like, hey, you know, I've always, you know, even though I... For one reason or another, unfortunately, I've been able to go to the gym myself. I've always had connections, relationships, and establishment, you know, with with Extreme Couture and even other gyms and uh, and uh, you know and whatnot. And uh, I've always offered it to my nieces and nephews, and none of them bite the hook, man. None of them bite the martial art hook. I'm like, I was talking to you know my sister and mother yesterday about it. Like, what is up with these? Like, I would have been. You know, especially in an age where everybody's learning how to do stuff, like, shouldn't you be afraid of, like, you know, someone else knowing how to, you know, someone else knowing how to how to do stuff you want to learn? And, like, not even just martial arts movies, because that's an obvious trope of martial arts movies. Like, oh, the uncle comes in and teaches a martial art. Oh, you have a, a long-lost relative who, who knows this art and can, can impart this gift to you. And, you know, like, that is the, like, not even in martial arts movies, even fucking Braveheart, right? That was the thing, Uncle Argyle, I'll teach you the ways, right? Like, that was, like, the thing. Like, there was always this myth, like, almost, I don't know. I, I know I'm ranting, folks. I'm going to tie up that rant here, but I'm just, like... A, I guess kids kids don't seem impressed. They're just so detached these days, which is I'm trying to make a comical point, but rounding back out to the real and the news at hand, it's just sad because I, I all jokes aside, I really do push it on them, and and you know I'm sure I'm sure you know Walt being Anaya being Walt's daughter, you know, um, newer thing or two, it looked like there was a fight, you know, from as far as the uh, a scuffle vehicle the evidence or whatever. Um, and it, you know, but but you know, the gentleman on camera was big, so it might not it, not might not have. I mean, ultimately, did not matter, right? Unfortunately, is the case. Um, so, not that these things will make a difference, but you know, these are just at least for me was a reminder. When I'm sure people that actually are fathers that are listening to this have their own kids. I'm sure probably had own similar version where you just you want to react. You know, you want to equip these kids with everything possible. Um. But yeah, that was a real heartbreaker. I don't want to, I don't want to spend too much time on uh, on it. Not, I don't want to say that to sound rude or selfish, but it's just a very hard thing to talk about. Um, it sends me in many and many different directions, and I think we all feel the same way. But I, I, it is something important to talk about, so I did want to acknowledge that. And I guess just lastly on the RIPs, because I, God, I felt like I could not check the news feed without just depressing news. You know, the Naya stuff hits, and. The, I checked back maybe the next day or later that night. I think I even took because I took a break during like the whole day, and then I find out former wrestling coach of mine, Brian Keck, died. And he, you know, was a high level wrestler in his day. Ran a lot of uh, high level notable camps. Did actually really well doing that. Um, moved from Extreme Couture to San Diego to Alliance, uh, where it. I, I didn't train under him so much there. We would just travel to go train under under Neil mainly, but we would see see Brian there, man. And you know, Brian again, he did really well for himself. Uh, you know, for between just being a wrestling coach and running wrestling camps through the country. And uh, I remember he had this nice spot, man. Uh, for those of you familiar with San Diego, the Gaslight um, District, and they 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 bought like they made some built some like new condos and, and not high rises but buildings, right? 
but they would actually have like ground floor ones. And I remember Keck and his little dogs, he had a, a ground floor like suite and he invited us over for the, I can't remember what pay-per-view it was, probably like five years ago or something, but like just super hospital, it all, you know, uh, you know, just, just seemed like a down, down dude. I didn't, I didn't, I'm not going to front that I knew him super well or anything like that, but, but, but yeah, man. And I really enjoyed his wrestling classes back in the day were really crucial, especially for a younger Dan Tom who was, who was in the midst of his competition days, whether it was grappling or MMA, that wrestling was just a huge key. I, I found out I was just, just my game, just especially after some knee injuries, I, I did less guard tricks and much more top work. And that's where I kind of found my, uh, groove as a catch wrestler, but you, you got to get it there. So I'd, I'd always take rest, uh, Keck's wrestling classes. Um, depends when you went. Sometimes they're on the open map, but a lot of times there are these small practices up in the uh, up in the small mat room at Extreme Victoria. to go up to the second floor. So this enclosed small room, and it was good, man. You put the wrestling shoes on. You have wrestlers from his other programs come in, and and um, Learned a lot. Those are just some of the hard, always, always the hardest practices. You had to make sure you got your sleep, were stretched out, ate right, ate enough for energy for. Otherwise, you're gonna injure yourself or something, man. Just the, the grind of those wrestling classes. So, um, rest, rest in peace to Brian Keck, and uh, hopefully they can get well, the details. But hopefully they can get his body back from Mexico where he passed. Shared uh, shots to Aaron Bronstetter. Uh, for sharing that, I shared, retweeted that tweet as far as getting that GoFundMe out there. So uh, I guess that'll wrap it up for the RIP news this week in our community. Uh, too much loss. And, of course, um, the week before, of course, I don't know if I mentioned in case I didn't, um, you know, my co-host, uh, Gorgeous Georgian Goes, lost one of their uh, best friends there, uh, Steve Straub, and, uh, you know, Met his brother uh, came out recently, and that was that was nice. I don't think I I, I, I don't think I met his brother before, but uh, the first the first of many years and years ago. Oh wow, what probably almost like ten years ago. Um, that goes and George invited me over to their house for fights. As I was when I was just like a listener of the show, or whatever. Uh, Steve was there, super kind guy. And um, I'm sure, you know, I know we share a lot of listeners. If not, make sure, you know, you listen to the MMA Junkie Radio podcast and the gorgeous George and Go's Triple G show. But, uh, yeah, in those familiar, you guys have been listening for a while, know that the, that family has a history, um, long history besides Fenstrip. They actually have a history with the show. So massive condolences to the two, to those guys. There's just way too much loss going on in our community, man. Um and the time flies, man. The time flies, and, and you know, like we are. I'm not going to get back into the decade talk. We, I'm glad we touched on that last week because now all the articles are hitting. We still haven't. Um, there is some stuff to come on on Junkie, so be sure to keep an eye out for that. But I, you know, just in general, a lot of decade talk out there from outlets to others, uh, chatter online. So I'm glad I was able to talk about that. Although, kind of like I predicted, um, I don't know. I'm not trying to die on the dominant cruise hill or anything. But uh, not a not a lot of not a lot of love uh, not a lot of love for uh, for that gentleman despite what the facts be and what the facts say. Um, it was funny too because we were actually having some funny like internal bickering about it uh, on our chats. Uh, uh, all, all fun, all fun and good natured, of course. Nothing, nothing crazy. But uh, it was just it was just a good time to see like <clears throat> you know just you know again, folks, we're we're we're. Uh, 
we're human we're human beings we're fans just because we're quote unquote media members or not even I don't even like being equating me to that you know I, you know despite being a couple of years and the years are quietly growing you know nowhere near the level of like the John Morgans of the world right and guys like actually been covering but like even you know even uh, all the tenured and, and experienced and you know staff members who are very proud to call staff mem uh, team members on MMA Junkie. But it's just, it's just funny, like, I I'm not saying you guys have any disillusions or should. You shouldn't. You should know that we are just human beings. But it's, I think we subconsciously forget that, oh, yeah, these guys, despite being media members, despite having all this experience, like, they're, they're fans with opinions, too. Like, they have that gear just as well because they we come from the same place uh, in a weird way, so... I guess that's the kind of observation I really enjoyed from it, just to see, like, we don't, we're not above it either, folks. <laughs> so, that, so I'm looking forward to see what uh, old Simon Samano uh, has cooking as far as the information he's been gathering for that. Um, just going to touch up on two recently announced matchups, I guess the two biggest ones. There's been a lot of recently announced matchups. It's about booking season for... It's been booking season, technically, especially with the pace Joe Silva kept um for the next year but uh, a lot of matchups but just two to talk about uh two matchups to talk about and i'm not gonna tack tack it on at the end because we're already doing a flashback so i'm just gonna make it really short and sweet and we'll just touch on two movies that i saw for those of you who dig that talk or not i, I kind of uh i don't want to say mix i've only gotten a couple but they were all positive but yeah feel free to sound off positive or negative there's no you're not gonna hurt any feelings here folks you guys should know that by now um about you know yes no keep it at the end if you do or or whatever as far as uh movie talk again i'm not trying to get into things i'm not trying to spoil things nor do i think or think you should think that i have any type of opinion crazily worthwhile but it's fun stuff to talk about and when it does spark dialogue with those of you generally because you guys uh, appreciate the same things i appreciate and it's always nice to banter, whether you agree or not. But the first matchup I want to talk about was Jones versus Reyes, which was announced. This is a funny one. Um, I'm glad to see Reyes getting, I should say, the respect he deserves. But it's not so much the step up in Jones that worries me. As in the it's his first five-round fight. And his first five-round fight is against John Jones, who you don't need me to tell you. Has an experience edge overall. But... Specifically in championship fights, but I guess just the Reyes trajectory more specifically. And you know, we'll get into the weeds when the matchup comes. And let's be honest, you've got you've heard me get into the weeds with it before. Good southpaw, straight line counters, coming forward, going backward, head kicks, uh, just strong power kicks from the left hand side in general. Quietly works the body. Um, good footwork is in a sense of as far as his sense of range. Uh, he can do tricky stuff like dip and slip and kind of step away, swing away from the cage and kind of corral and um, get his opponent to the cage when he wants to. Uh, he has that gear. And he can flip it very fast. Um, all those things, right? Deceptive wrestling, athletic base, uh, good get-up ability where he doesn't give much, and we really saw that with um, Weidman. Uh, I think Jones will be more stronger as far as clinch takedown goes and more versatile as far as strength clinch takedown goes than Weidman was. Uh, but at the same time, you know, as far as 
even though Jones is really good from the front headlock with his guillotines, um, I don't know how much Reyes is going to shoot for one. But uh, back to the Weidman, I guess, comparison for whatever that's worth. Again, MMA maths and direct comparisons are never direct. But for what it's worth, uh, even though he, Weidman loses in the power and versatility area of the clinch takedown area, um, he is a much more dangerous back taker, and I dare even say more, ver- you know, more if not just as versatile from the front headlock um, from Jones, especially being that he's a lighter guy and can kind of swing to and from each position. Granted, even though he had plenty of opportunities and plenty of time and got the fight to the positions he wanted to, he didn't exactly get deep enough on the takedowns uh, or create enough scrambles to really see those opportunities open up. But again, that's a lot of what Reyes was doing right. So the big question is if Jones fights smart. If Jones fights smart, then he should be... You know, as as favored as uh, at least as he opened as. But if he doesn't and fights kind of on pace and either does his thing where he fights to his opponent's strength, which paid off early, and you got to imagine that's going to catch up with you at some point, right? Uh, and or if you subscribe to the theory of him just kind of just fighting to his opponent's level overall, whichever of those or mix of those theories you subscribe to. Uh, Point being is if, if he fights like he does recently, however you want to subscribe the reasons to that. If he fights like he does recently, that's taking nothing away, by the way, for guys like Anthony Smith, who I've always respected. and I overperformed his both his supporters' and critics' expectations, okay? Not trying to take away from guys like him or obviously Tiago Santos, who, you know, could, who had an argument to win that fight. Um, it came a lot closer than obviously supporters and detractors thought he would. If that Jones comes out, then I... I I think that even Jones supporters can admit that this fight's a lot closer. Jones nut huggers, no, because again, with guys like Khabib or Jones, as good as they are in the cage, uh, and I'm definitely not denying that. Um, you just get when you get that dominant of fighters, you just get that percentage of band bandwagon people too that are just going to be like, nah, 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 and you know, um, we'll probably start to see that uh, if. Uh, We'll have to talk about Connor and Cerrone here briefly. If uh, you know Connor gets the win as projected, which we'll we'll talk about that very briefly here. But the funny thing about Reyes is there was a lot of hype on him. That was kind of a slow burn, and some people like myself that were kind of hyped on him out of the gate. Sure, there was a good percentage of that too. But that coupled with kind of a slow burn brought a lot of hype. And even before his fight with Vulcan Ozdemir, which I've went over, it gets unfairly looked at. Even with his, even with his impressive performance, since people are still going back and like, you know, saying, "Oh, Vulcan was able to take him down whenever he wanted to, or at will, or some sort of verbiage like that." Like we've heard a lot of that, right? Um, but even before that, people were laughing at, like, scoffing at, like, the thought if anybody could beat John Jones, because like. I get it. If you're going to do that, like, if you're going to scoff at somebody, scoff at the idea of somebody beating someone in MMA, then yeah, like, doing it while backing guys like Jones or Khabib is probably your best bet. And that's not saying that that's not the right take either, folks. I'm just saying that that's that's probably your best bet. Uh, I will admit, I quietly was one of those people that uh, I didn't want to say anything because, again, I'm, I'm really, you know, I want to tone excitement as a fan because we all have that in ourselves and really come at this 
um, pragmatically as an analyst and say, you know, okay, um, let's wait for more evidence. But, you know, as far as pegging my horses for I think who could be it, uh, was Reyes. But again, even with before the uh, Volcanoes Demir fight, uh, I wasn't a detractor from Reyes, but even I was like, okay, we got to watch his gas tank because, yeah, he was able to pretty much knock out OSP at the end of the third round, but the management of pace seemed off. And there were pockets in there that a guy like Jones could and you'd like to think would um, exploit, right? And then he gets to the Volcanoes Demir fight where, of course, that one where he gets really misjudged. But if you go back and look at it, you know, again, commentary team is, is great. I really like the commentary team they have for that fight. But but um, there wasn't a lot of talk of the body work. Gooden, actually, the play-by-play of all people, was actually pointing it out a bit in, 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 in the booth defense. But it wasn't as one-sided as it, as, as it appeared to be because Reyes was doing body work. And as for the takedowns, Volkan Ozdemir, first of all, had really underrated wrestling. That didn't surprise me or anybody who actually like watched his fights even prior to the UFC. And you looked at who he was training with and his training footage. There was evidence pieced around on the internet, but it was there. Um, and he's shown that, obviously, since. Minus when he faced one of the best wrestlers and clinch wrestlers ever in Daniel Cormier for the title. And a bit of a right shot, obviously. Um... But those takedowns were, like, super well-timed and caught him out of position. And those I usually forgive people because that can happen, you know. You zig when you should have zagged. Um, it can cost you a knockout in the sport. I think we all agree on that. Uh, so why is it so hard for us to digest that it can give cost you a takedown from time to time? And the bigger question is what did those takedowns do? Nothing. He showed really good get-up acumen, was able to get up, recompose himself, and fight. And... Um, so, yeah, I feel like that fight has looked... It was a close fight for sure that could have gone Volkan's way. I'm not saying that, but I feel like the tinge, the lens, is very tinged unfairly of that fight. Uh, so, but, but even me, again, at the time, uh, before I went back to watch it, that's where I started, even myself too, a supporter of Reyes, was starting to pull back. Okay, maybe he isn't the guy. And then you got guys like Johnny Walker, who's just proving me and many wrong... Like it just makes no sense, and you're like, maybe that, maybe it's a guy like that, that you know. I, so I, I, I start looking that way. I don't blame anybody that was saying that. I didn't say that, but man, you know, you, I don't blame anybody thinking that because I believe I what I did what I did say at times was like, you know, when you think about it, that that that, that would be so MMA that like a guy like Jones would just lose to the proverbial puncher's chance guy and. Who is like the ultimate puncher's chance guy? Some crazy athlete who has insane range for the division, even by John Jones standards, and can do all these crazy athletic things. But uh, like I said, I overcorrected the steering wheel, and it was my original take on Johnny was actually right. And rounding it back out to Reyes, perhaps my original take on Reyes may be right. Does that mean I'm going to pick him to beat John Jones? You know, we'll see. I I can't even confidently say that now, to be honest. But I am not discounting his chances i'm taking his chances very seriously as i hope john jones is um so i'll just leave it at that you know i'll I'll leave it at that i guess uh just giving you a little bit of my personal feelings on reyes and how i felt about behind the scenes but yeah uh, he not saying i'm gonna pick him but i guess what i am saying is that i initially thought he could be the guy was waiting for more evidence i admittedly pulled up when a lot of people were but in the recent re-examina- reexaminations, which I've spoken on this show previously, you know, 
If there's a gun in my head and you, know, you had to pick a light heavyweight, I'm probably picking Reyes with a slight caveat that... What's his name? Alexander Rakich is right behind him. Um, Rakich, I could actually see Rakich... Uh, Anderson, Corey Anderson is a dark horse, but if you believe Corey Anderson is a dark horse or not, I don't feel like it's too hard. I mean, you're more than welcome to disagree. It's not like I'm going to die on the hill or anything, but I don't think it's too much of a stretch to agree with me here where that regardless of whether or not you think Corey Anderson is a dark horse to John Jones, that the Corey Anderson pathway to winning that fight, which is striking and wrestling pressure, rinse, wash, repeat, and just overwhelm that kind of single single shot variation opportunistic Jackson Wing style uh, that Jones can really do it only his own level because of his gifts. Um, you just overwhelm that and close that distance, and you're able to do it more consistently without gassing like Cormier and not getting knocked out like Cormier. Um, I feel like Rakich can... And especially by the time he gets to Jones, if that happens, um, we'll be able to do that path better because he has that deceptive American kickboxing uh, academy approach. I mean, he even admits that Cain Velasquez is who he quietly models himself after. And he's just an athletic long dude who comes from a Dutch kickboxing base. So it's very dangerous. Um, those are those are my horses there, folks, for whatever that's worth. Uh, am, I saying, am I saying that I'm picking against John Jones anytime soon? Yeah, I can't really remember. Um, I, I rooted against him plenty, but I can't remember if I've ever picked against him, to be honest, minus the first DC fight. I think that's, my, that's the only time I picked against John Jones. That's it, folks. So, All right. Um, and then, of course, the announced uh, Connor versus uh, Cowboy. Man, how about that, you know? Um, <laughs> As if that brutal stretch of uh, UFC wasn't enough, they got to go and announce, uh, send us media members fucking scrambling on Thanksgiving. Um, <laughs> as, uh, as many 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 of my colleagues like uh, John Snowden uh, noted on Twitter, which by the way I did uh, I did check my phone and uh, and uh, I almost I almost got away without without scrambling, but uh, <laughs> but. But got a message from um, Mierda uh, at night. But thankfully, again, Thanksgiving is not a, a big holiday for me. Although, <laughs> may or may not have uh, been kicking back a few. Um, I uh, I was I was very welcoming to the work. It's a weird. I've been my schedule's been so thrown off, and a lot of it obviously is just due to a lot of just the kind of family drama and disarray that's been going on. I've been dealing with behind the scenes, but. Like, I think a lot of it, too, is the fact that even though the schedule is lightened for most of us in general, but especially myself, uh, which is really weird to say for the last week or so, um, I'm, a, I'm a person that really needs structure in my life. So uh, there is a good thing about this kind of schedule that the groove it's kind of got me into. It gets my ass in a gear. Um, so that's why I kind of posted that apocalypse now. Uh, Martin Sheen opening, <laughs> you know, saying the uh, MMA writers coming off holiday to write about Conor McGregor, which you know, more specifically directed toward me, you know, especially with the whole, uh, uh, you know, borderline psychotic uh, Martin Sheen uh, going nuts with his own thoughts in a room, waiting for his assignment. That's very much Dan Tom, right, folks? Those of you been listening for a while, <laughs> and also it's very much like Dan Tom to. Uh, 
You know, to 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 uh, oh surprise surprise, Dan Tom likes another anti-hero movie character like Travis Bickle or or uh, Martin Sheen's character from Apocalypse Now. Yeah, those are the characters that you that you relate to. What does that say about you, Dan? What does that say? All right, all right, all right. Um, but yeah, uh, no, no. Uh, but uh, I, I figured, um, you know, if I'm going to come at things, uh, I'm not uh, salacious about it. I I feel like I. Again, I vote with my dollars. If you look at my timeline, I wasn't talking about that. I don't like to talk about, give things attention that, uh, you know, I'm trying not to sound contrarian, but I'm totally fucking contrarian when, when it comes to this stuff. But yeah, when it comes to what's popular and what's hot, I like to just talk about, you know, things that speak to me, not that speak to the masses per se. Um, oh, Dan, you're still novel. Shut up. <laughs> Sorry, you gotta you gotta take the piss out of yourself. But uh, but yeah, man. But uh, you know, and when I do talk about it, I, I try to talk in solid facts, looking at things analytically, and uh, that's what I did here. It's not a, it's not a complete breakdown. I'm gonna reserve my pick, my official pick for fight week, as per usual, for my official fight week breakdown. But yeah, I don't disagree with. The opening odds, I'm not surprised, but I do think the matchup is um, slightly more volatile than what the odds say slash will say come fight time because I believe that the odds will just, I mean, the money will continue to pour in on McGregor. And I kind of explain why. I just list a lot of my facts, my usual facts, which is like, you know, stoppage losses, records against southpaws, uh, etc., um, I actually touched a bit on the old, the old fight metric analytics, which usually isn't my style, but, um, you know, uh, it, it's, uh, it's, it, it's very useful and does kind of tell a story of this fight, which again, please go check out the article. It's out now. So you hear this at MMAJunkie.com or you don't have to, but you know, just no, no one's making you, but it just for stuff I miss, it'll be listed on there. Uh, I just basically lay out that, um. You know, basically, uh, you know, McGregor, you know, stuff that most of y'all probably know and come, come to, you, to yourself, but just just laying out the numbers side by side by these hypotheses, you know, to kind of make them more of a real uh, reality to see who has the edge where. Um, and, uh, of course, you know, Connor at boxing range early on, whereas Cerrone at distance, leg kicks. Uh, and that was just something funny that looking at fighters that were didn't have the reach, didn't have the acumen. Didn't end up winning, but all had in common that, you know, the 90 percentile of their strikes landed were all at distance. And within those distance strike categories, leg kicks led for everybody with very high percentages leading their strikes landed as far as per technique goes as well. So hard to ignore there, but also tricky sample sizes because it's pretty devoid of tie boxers, you know, the one closest thing to a tie, uh, to the highest level of a tie boxer he got was a 13 second KO right it's Jose Aldo so um very tricky sample size there um the layoff sample size is very tricky I lay out kind of you know multiple sample sizes that argue you know it's hurt him here it's hurt him there but he's been able to overcome you know surgeries here a long layoff there and uh you know uh, camp and promotional disarray uh, only to come back with a better gas tank and a complete new weapon, which was the leg kick between UFC 196 and 202. So the guy can get creative in quick time as well. 
Um, and he can also, you know, again, like the 11th month knee surgery comeback can make comebacks and use of his time quietly and not so quietly. But, um, but yeah, man, it's hard to tell where his head's at because most of the battles seem to be with, uh, old men in pubs or people taking pictures of him or, uh, inappropriate conduct with the ladies, which, you know, are allegations, but where there's smoke folks. I guess I'll just leave it at that. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that's all on that. And um, real quick before we just launch into the... Uh, and I let you guys go here. Uh, saw two movies. Um, the Irishman, which uh, Martin Scorsese's latest. Uh, I, I didn't see it in theaters or anything like that. I just saw it and I just waited for it through the Netflix. Um, Long movie, which, you know, real 70s style, kind of back to the 70s. The fact the 90s movies got short. They've been short ever since for the most part. Um, I was afraid it was going to be like The Good Shepherd, which was fucking super boring and felt like four hours. I remember like I convinced a bunch of friends to go, and they were just like, like friends of my band, or like, it's like metal dudes, and they were just fucking all sleeping. Even like the girlfriends were asleep by it, and I'm all sitting there like, Scorsese film. Uh, but even my hipster ass could not defend that one. Um, and uh, this was actually, a, a, I would say this was, The Irishman was a good film. And it went fast. I would argue that it went faster. It felt faster than three and a half hours because, you know, suspense was, the suspense was great. And I'll touch on that here briefly in one second. But I will say I'm not super excited. Like, you know me, I was joking. I don't even know what Scorsese said in, in the argument. But you know Laurel, Contrarian, old hipster Dan, Tom Falls. If uh, there's a gun in my head to jump on the Marvel side or the Scorsese side, but man, um, it is tough to make it put a you know put this out a, a, a three hour not a slog again. It's a it's a good movie, folks. By if I'm being critical, and did it blow me away? Like, no, um, it was performance strong like the Joker, but I felt like the Joker was much more digestible from an entertainment standpoint. Though I kind of would rank the films very similarly high, maybe the maybe the you know the Joker gets a little bit of extra juice, but uh, I, I would say they're both right there in the eight, you know eight out of ten range, strong eight out of tens each. Uh, but uh, you know maybe eight point five if you will. Um, but uh, but yeah, it was a uh, it was good character work and just and I'm not gonna you know no, no spoilers or anything, but you know just really well casted, like everybody was well casted, like. Um, the, uh, Matt Damon lookalike guy from, uh, Breaking Bad makes an appearance here, and he was perfectly cast for that role, his face and everything. And Ray Romano does a really deceptively good job, like, he plays his role perfectly. I really liked, I never watched too much Everybody Loves Raymond, or, you know, was neither one way or the other on the guy, but he killed it, uh, for a small role that he had. Um, uh, you know, all good performances, all that, and, you know, no, no spoiler, but there's a scene just involving... Uh, a car ride and a conversation about fish that is so intense and it's just a great example of the one thing I guess I will go to bat on Scorsese about this film and again not trying to die on hills either way I'm not trying to convince you either way I'm not trying to say my my opinion is fucking important here folks just sharing my thoughts here um, I will say that that scene in particular for those who know I'm talking about and those who when you come across it um, it's just great to show what he can do with so little as far as intenseness. And the great filmmakers do that. You know, Kurosawa with a gun on uh, with Yo Yojumbo. 
You know, just, they do so they do so much with so little. Uh, whereas, like all you know, again, not to make it Marvel versus Scorsese or anything, but but to I don't know to anybody's point. I don't know if anybody's making this point, but me. But I'm sure it's kind of a basis around these arguments, right? Which is, and I'm not trying to feed that argument. It's stupid. We can enjoy both things. It's perfectly fine, folks. But I guess the dissection of you know today's just very just formulaic storytelling, corporate serialization, which is my main problem with these things from the movie serialization to the Mandalorian serialization, which again, Mandalorian, I'm enjoying, folks. I'm not trying to come at that. I'm enjoying it. I'm just saying, err, I know what they're doing, you know? Um, and they got me, err, they got me on the Mandalorian. Uh, but like, I'm just saying, folks, that like, what are you saying, Dan? Fuck it out with it. Um, it's just, you know, the formulaic and, and, and all, all that stuff mixed with all these multi-million dollars in CGI and, you know, car ride and conversation about fish is just so much more fucking intense. <laughs> uh, but the only, the only two comical notes I will say is De Niro. Again, this isn't spoilers at all, folks. Uh, De Niro, I, I never noticed this. But now I want to watch his other movies. Or This is just De Niro being old. Is uh, De Niro has a just has just hates or at least very least has a lazy, very lazy fair attitude toward food props like there are points where he's drinking coffee or holding a chili dog and he's completely like slanting over the coffee mug where like coffee should be pouring out like he's really like, like he's really like checked out of holding the coffee he's more focused on his words and his lines in the scene and like this whole scene he's driving me crazy because he's speaking with a chili dog in his hand and he's literally holding it at, at like a near 45 angle you know uh, he's he's holding he's got he's got the thing you know at a obtuse angle. It's it's the the chili should be just fucking falling off these things. And this chili dogs look really good. I think they referenced a real place and show how they make it. It was really tasty, but it was driving me fucking crazy. And last note on the Irishman is that um you know the all encompassing fact here is that all old mob guys ended up end up looking like Lou Duva at the end. I mean it was. You know, I forget what is it, Goodfellas, where the wife is talking about Karen. She's talking about the skin of the women. Like I felt like Karen watching this movie, but just not admiring, but not a, uh, but definitely, uh, you know, but, but more toward the appalled side of just looking at the skin of all the men <laughs> of that era. They all just end up looking like Lou Duva, but um, you know, worth a watch. Uh, let me know if I'm crazy here, but uh, you know, I rank it a strong eight out of ten, but. It just didn't blow me back. Again, kind of similar to, and again, I'm not not picking on, you know, I, although I don't even want to call or relate Joker with a comic book movie, but like, and just to show that I'm not picking on it, both of them rank similarly, but also kind of have similar criticisms where it's good. I'm not saying what they didn't do was good, but similar to Joker, I've already seen, you know, these themes with Taxi Driver and King of, King of Comedy with, with Irishman. Say, like, okay, this is good, but this is you, Scorsese. Like, I've already seen better versions of these things that you've kind of already done before. And I'll leave it at that. I'll let you guys decide for yourself. Um, I also went to the theater and saw Motherless Brooklyn, which I really wanted to see. Um, this one wasn't bad. Like, I think I think I gave it, like, I, I gave it with a 7 out of 10. With, again, not like a, I'm going to die on this hill emphatic 7 out of 10. More like, yeah, you know, decent 7 out of 10. And also with the caveat, which I stated in the tweet, like, knowing that, I was that that great at a kind of strictly as a noir film, which noir films are pretty straightforward, and this kind of hit all the basic tropes. Um, and uh, also, be with the character deals with Tourette syndrome, which um, I won't get into now because I want to push forward to the rest of this podcast. But also, just 
you know, I do talk about crazy things on the Protect Your Neck podcast, but um, this is probably another thing. That this is probably better off for another time and place, but I just will say that um, neurological disorders in general, particularly Tourette syndrome, hit home with me and very familiar with these things. And he quietly got a lot done right, and I really appreciated it. And uh, I got some dark laughs, which might come off dark to other people, but I I have dark humor myself. And again, very familiar with this and people familiar. Suggest you look it up. It's really super interesting. You know, first of all, you know, only 10% of people with Tourette's actually have the verbal tics that are kind of popularized that Edward Norton's character play has. And he does really well with that, by the way. Or we've seen in other movies like Boondock Saints. Um, but... There is a certain, there really is a, a quiet genius. Uh, you know, these kids consistently rank high amongst their contemporaries and have just an emotional maturity and an intelligence that can even be tracked on IQ tests that are far and wide above adults, much less, you know, children. So, um, seeing a, uh, the adult portrayal in that particular story they adapted, they did really well. And also does kind of a crossover in a history, which I found super interesting because, you know, of just far as, you know, the racial uh, and racist backgrounds of how certain neighborhoods are formed and, and, and communities have been formed throughout the country through a certain period of time. But particularly to New York and Brooklyn, a place where, you know, granted was for a short time I used to live. And um, what's his name? Baldwin's character is a real historical character worth looking into. And... Uh, that was really cool how they swiped that in. So, um, oh, I lied. Two more things: submissions and transitions, uh, and then we'll 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 push on here. Um, Drew Steinberg. Uh, let's see here. Oh, I lost it. I had it queued up, and gosh darn it, here it is, folks. Drew Steinberg. Uh, who should slash Will Cejudo fight next? This is at DJ Steinberg two five eight. Is he going to vacate the 125 belt or bless us with Benny versus Figgy? Benny versus... Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, uh, Benavides versus Figueredo, I guess what you're meaning to. I, I, I mean, bless us, yeah, it's the fight that should happen. It'll be an awesome fight. But as a Joseph Benavides fan and Mark, uh, I'm kind of rooting for him to... I'm biased here, so I'm rooting for him to fight Cejudo for the 125 belt, Drew. So I'm a bit biased there. That's what I would love to see. I have a feeling it's going to go the other way, though, for whatever that's worth. I don't have any information on that, though. Steve, Adam Mayfan, 2019. What was the worst ref call in UFC this year or MMA in general? This was a tough one because all my, like, 2017 and 2018 seemed like it was filled with it, right? We had the Kashoheda Yamasaki, Yamasaki, uh, what you would call it, uh, Lee Kiesa, which were both in 2017. and 2018, we've got, I think we've got a lot of Herb Dean, especially that one in Russia, that Russian guy, like almost killed, or pretty much, maybe he did kill CB Dalloway. I got to check in on that. Um, but this one, I, you know, I probably got to target Tan Dan outside of the UFC, man, or maybe even in the UFC as well. And I like Tan Dan, and Tan Dan's been through a lot this year. He came back from a, a heart, a quadruple bypass, you know, so. Uh, but um, I don't, I don't know, you know, uh, you know I, I guess I don't follow and I, I try not to care about this too much, kind of thing too much or look into this, but I, apparently I guess uh, Tan Dan's a pretty outspoken MAGA guy or, or, or so it would say if you follow his Facebook again, I don't know these things. I just judge people by their performances and, you know, uh, I, can't, I just root, I root for the guy's health and well-being. So I guess that's all I can say. 
Um, but whatever your personal opinions are, whether it's politics or just, you know, things on, and I got to check myself on it too, you know, uh, things like, you know, people being cocky, you especially have to check yourself on it when you're directly involved with the fights. I'm just some asshole writing and talking. I mean, he's in there directly involved with their safety. And, you know, like for example, with the Michael Venom page and the Robert Keeley thing, like taking the point and doing the head shaking thing. And, you know, uh, you know, Greg Hardy's going to receive a lot less uh, sympathy, of course, but, you know, just, you know, uh, doing the head shaking after he raises his hand 3-1, and uh, granted, Greg Hardy was doing that dance, but how many fighters do, you know, showboating dances and showboating things, right? Um, but, yeah, I, I would probably have to say that if I had to nitpick, but, but yeah. I will say uh, best ref of the year, and he's got, uh, you know, I'm still going to stick with Jason Herzog, man. Still going to stick with Jason Herzog. He's got my award. He's got a big uh, title assignment coming up, I think, at 245, which is nice to see. All right, folks, going to be on with the podcast here. Top five walkouts in MMA with Jordan Killian. Again, dated back to 2017. Um, going to have an intro, and probably I'm going to do a Wayne's World type blurb to um, edit out some of the uh, talk. Because we recap, uh, speaking of Mike, uh, Kevin Lee, Michael Chiesa, we're actually recapping that card first. And um, so you're going to hear a lot of references. I think there's there's going to be a lot of uh, um, auto. <laughs> I don't know why we got on David Carradine, but there's some David Carradine references that we reference back to, and you guys are going to miss that part. So they're going to be empty callbacks a little bit. But aside from that, everything's relevant. <laughs> and uh, and we'll also reference uh, if you hear us referencing me and Jordan referencing shit stories, it's because uh, uh, Justine Keish had an infamous fight on that card, and me and Jordan were trying to. You know, make her feel less bad by sharing some stories of our own, <laughs> which uh, don't don't worry, I, I'm going to save you folks from. So, without further ado, top five MMA walkouts in a for our flashback edition of the Protect Your Neck podcast. Thanks for sticking around. And we're back. Right here in the Protect Your Neck Podcast. Top five MMA walkouts. That's right. We're done recapping. No more autoerotic asphyxiation stories. No more shit stories. It's the top five MMA walkouts. So we're going to be pulling not from UFC, but from everything in the timeline spectrum, everything that is MMA. Jordan, you excited for this, my man? Dude, I'm pumped for this one, and uh, I, I just word word of warning. I think I have more honorable mentions this time than I've ever had, maybe combined in all the times I've been on. My God, me too, man. Like this is one where it's like we're gonna do honorable mentions as usual with the submissions and transitions. So if you submitted a list first, you will get first dibs um, as far as that goes. And whatever you miss, whatever didn't make our top five is the honorable mentions. But I'm with Jordan here. The list is 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 full and not just full. I mean, there's always a full page of list whenever I do one of these, but this one is fruitful. Like it was, it was hard. It felt like I was like deciding from you know it was like wartime and I'm trying to decide which which child I want to leave behind for dead and which one I want to take with me. <laughs> like it was, it was making the list. I mean, narrowing it down to five, man, that was tough. You you felt the same on yours. Yeah, it's. I, I mean, I told you this before we started recording. I I switched out two ten minutes before we started, and like stuff that I had in my honorable mention that I was like, I have to put it in there. I I can't not put that in there. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, I did the same thing too. Um, I think my number four was my eleventh um, hour pick. So we'll, we'll we'll definitely get to that one. We'll get to all of them. And again, if there's crossover, um, it's totally fine. 
We'll double dip, and uh, for future lists or you know just future themes, if you want to suggest an idea, you can hit us up hashtag Protect Your Neck Podcast on Twitter at the PYM Podcast, or keep it simple at the PYM Podcast on Instagram or Facebook if you want to contribute your comments, thoughts that way. All right, plugs are done. Let's start off in number five, and I'm going to let my guest, since he's more than a guest, he's comfortable. He knows. He knows the format. He knows the show. He knows me too well. So, Jordan, why don't you just kick us off with your number five, sir? All right, man. I'll start off number five. I'm I'm doing a little cheating because I do a slash. I've got two that I could not pick between, but it's the same song. And so Ooh. that's why I went two at number five. Nice. Okay, so my my number five is it's both Ashling Daly and Korean Zombie coming out to the song Zombie by the Cranberries. And they're they're awesome for different reasons. Uh, Ash Daly's was awesome because it was in Dublin and the crowd was singing along and it was super cool. It was a really cool moment. You guys have all seen the video. It kind of went viral right after the fight where somebody in the crowd took a video with their phone of, you know, 10,000, 15,000 people all singing the chorus to Zombie together, which is a cool, cool experience, right? Because, you know, it's an Irish band. You're in Ireland. The Irish fighters there is really cool, man. And it gives me goosebumps even just thinking about it. My next one with the same song, Korean Zombie, coming out to the song Zombie, because first of all, Korean Zombie is one of the baddest motherfuckers of all time. Like that dude is one of the first 145 pounders that I was ever like, that's a tough fucking guy. Like a lot of times 45ers, I'm like, that's a technical guy. That's a quick guy. Like there's not a lot of dudes at 45 that you're like, that dude's tough as fucking nails. And that's Korean zombie to the T. And when he headlined on the fuel UFC on fuel, where he was fighting Dustin Poirier. Do you remember that? Yeah. He was the, he, he was the last guy to come out. Right. So they dim the lights for him. Right. So the lights go out and you hear the song zombie come in and then, like the crowd goes nuts and then you see the you know they the ufc does a really good job of like cutting to the video of the fighter walking out and dude it was it's so you can still find it on youtube you can find the intro of him coming out at ufc uh it's like ufc on fuel one of those ones it was right before they they got rid of fuel tv and verses and all that shit but it's so cool, man, because the, the mood just fits. The song with his name, it's it's fucking awesome. And Korean Zombie, I I can never get enough of that guy. So that's my number five. It's a mixture. Ashley Daly, Korean Zombie, coming out to Zombie by the Cranberries. Beautiful pick, man. I, I know our mutual friend Keith McKenna, editor of MMA Latest News over there, is going to be happy with that one. That was in his honorable mention. I'll get to the second one later uh, if it doesn't come up. But that was an awesome one. I remember watching that with my girlfriend, and we both kind of had goosebumps. Like, wow. Because we were like, you know, I remember, you know, me and her, we woke up early in bed and watched the first Dublin show with McGregor Brandau, you know, it was at that time. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. the second one, you know, there was uh, injuries. I mean, Smoke and Hulahan ended up having a headline. Yeah. So there, there was some gusto kind of taken out of it, you know, it was, and it was at, at that point, people, of course, we already recognized that Conor McGregor was going to be well beyond a fight night card anytime soon yeah. or ever at that point, even. So there was a little bit of luster taken, but that was. Uh, Oddly enough, one of the most you know amazing moments, you know, Asling Daly, you know, coming out, and you know, fighters you get excited for, like, no offense, even if you're a fan of Irish MMA and women's MMA, like, she's not like a name that's going to jump out to you, but right. everybody was a fan right there. And with the mm-hmm. Korean Zombie one, that was one of the first, was it like maybe even like second or third even of a five round events for the UFC for non-title fights? Yeah. So it was this new thing for us. So it had an extra kind of a weird feel being, uh, you know, watching five round non-title events. It was a new new thing for UFC fans at the time. And then you hit them over the head with that intro. And I remember watching that, Jordan. I'm getting goosebumps when you explain that. It was like, Dude. oh shit, this feels like a main event. This feels like it's for a title. Right. 
And it was coming right after that seven second knockout of Mark Hominick too. So like zombie is riding this like high where he had just, he'd had some great fights and he lost a decision to Garcia. Then he got head kicked by George Roop, but then he came back and he beat Leonard Garcia by the twister. And then he knocked out Hominick in like seven or eight seconds up in Ontario. And so he's got some hype back going with him. And you're like, Oh fuck, this is about to go down. Cause Poirier was on a tear too at that point. And you're like, this is a fucking fight, man, man. That's a good one. Well, my number five is an all-time favorite fighter of mine. It it was even if I didn't see this, it's kind of a two-way one where it's 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 the same fighter but same song. But is a personal experience and an overall experience. Overall meaning that even if I didn't see this in person, which I'll get to in a second, it would make my list just because it's one of my favorite you know songs, bands, fighters, and and walkouts and. UFC 200 was a card that I was very grateful to go to, but as we know, suffered so many layers of disappointment. Almost yeah. every day of fight week was a different layer of disappointment from a fight change and, and so on and so forth, all the way up to the end, 24 hours before it. And the best part, taking away from it, there were some moments close, which hopefully I'll get to talk to you about later, but um, the best part happened actually in one of the opening bouts. Maybe if not the opening bout, Maybe not the first song, because I believe he came out second, but it was the first match. That was Gomi versus Jim fucking Miller. And I, I wrote that yeah. in my notes here. Jim fucking Miller. Bad Moon Rising. CCR. I mean, just getting excited for this guy. You know, go, going back to his his, his, his seven-fight win streak or whatever it was. You know, beating guys like Gallard and stuff and coming out and just doing his no-snarl as he pumps his chest. Like, just a tough motherfucker. You know, just, just that tough savage coming out. Like, it just embodied him. When he started being inconsistent, is also coincidental. Incidentally, when he started kind of changing his song, and see, he still has great taste. Like, I can't think it was the Hollies. I think he was come out to for a minute, mm-hmm. which is, you know, a, a great jam. Um, but um, and now recently, he's kind of on this resurgence again. You know, even though he had a tough loss to Dustin Poirier, where he gave him a hell of a fight that I don't think a lot of people mm-hmm. thought he was going to give Dustin yeah. Poirier. But he he brought the song back and. Even though it goes against the analysts, you know, part of me, I like to think that it's not because of the Lyme disease. I like to think it's because of the song that Jim Miller has found his resurgence, Bad Moon Fucking Rising. And I, you know, it might have been, <laughs> it might, it might have been the whiskey that John John Rico uh, bought me before the event. It might have been the beers that Keith McKenna, who we just mentioned, bought me in the stands because he was in town for that one. But goddamn, was I enjoying myself uh, in the stands for Bad Moon Rising, Jim Miller walking out. Man, Jim Miller is, yeah, you're right. He's one of the OGs of that lightweight division back when it was first becoming this huge boom of talent. Like Jim Miller was one of those guys. And uh, my favorite Joe Rogan quote about MMA is about Jim Miller. When Jim Miller was walking out to the ring one time, Joe Rogan said, Jim Miller is the type of guy who will fight anyone, anywhere, anytime. Dana White could call Jim Miller at three o'clock in the morning and say, hey, I need you to fight Godzilla. And he'd say, where? <laughs> yep. Yeah, I, I remember. And uh, before I get to the Joe Silva, well, uh, the Joe Silva thing, real quick. First of all, you know, he's one of the few guys to get like one of one of the vocal credits from Joe Silva, who's renowned mm-hmm. one of the most hard asses, most picky guys. Even if you were on Joe Silva, by the time at the end of his tenure, you were probably on his bad list. Even if you were one of the guys on his good list, and. Right. You know, the whole story of Jim Miller, you know, him offering in the last fight that Joe Silva booked for him, I believe it was Dustin Poirier at 208, because that was booked before the year 2016 went out, Joe Silva's last year. Right. And there's a story that he offers him, and he takes it, and he goes, of course you would. You're Jim fucking Miller. And that's like the ultimate compliment from the hard-ass like Joe Silva. And uh, sorry, what was the thing you said before? Because it'll click what I was going to say. What was the thing you said before about – 
Oh, I'm just saying that, you know, he was one of the he's one of the guys that helped 155 get to where it is. And then the Joe Rogan quote about him, you know, wanting to if Dana oh, yes. White called him and said, hey, hey, I need you to fight Godzilla. You know, he'd say, all right, where? That's what it reminded me of. I can't remember who it was, but this was one of the first like fight companions. This was like literally like the first like I dare say even one of the first five fight companions Rogan did. And I don't know if it was probably one of the comedians like Justin Martindale or some one of the random comedians they had on there because I think they would actually do those at the comedy store for the first ones. And yeah. um, and uh, Jim Miller was fighting for somebody, and of course Jim Miller was the underdog, but they didn't know that. I think they took the other guy because I'm guessing it was like Gallard or somebody who was like really buff and imposing, you know. Sure. And I remember like the one person, uh, uh, one of the comedians, sticks up for Jim Miller, but like, uh, sticks up for Jim Miller, not knowing who he is, but and says, "No, but what about the white guy though, man? I mean, look at him. That guy looks like his dad's been beating the shit out of him since he was like six years old." <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, this is the best Jim Miller description before he's going to fight. Like, yeah. Someone told me, like, hey, yeah. dude, that guy's dad beat the fuck out of him in the basement and just fed him, like, scraps of meat. I'd be like, I believe it. I believe it. He looks like an in-shape <laughs> Rick Steiner. Holy shit. Yeah. You know, Scotty. <laughs> Sorry. That was the older fucking del- delusional WCW Rick Steiner that I just impersonated yeah. there. <laughs> It was good, but no, that's a, that's a great choice, man. Because uh, I think, uh, and I'll get to I'll into it a little bit in my list too. Is that one of the things that I like is when a song you're taking it like an important song, and I think CCR is not not only do they have important songs, they were an important band. They they uh, influenced a ton of people, and their music was profoundly uh, important and had a message to it. So I think uh, Jim Miller choosing that is is very uh, fitting, you know, because he's a guy who's like a no nonsense guy. He means a lot more than people probably give him credit for to the division and to the UFC. So uh, that's a good pick, man. 100%. And before we jump to number four, just because you just sparked something there, yeah, the words even as silly as that sounds, like even when I was competing, getting ready for my first amateur MMA fight, on my mixes for training, I had a mix of like 15 songs just got me pumped for practice, that got my mind focused for competing. And on that was Bad Moon Rising and, you know, you know, you listen to the words like, hope you are quite prepared to die, like, you know, a storm's right. coming, and it's just getting you ready. Yeah. Like, it's a really, like, that, and then even just watching Jim Miller fights, like, I remember I knew it was a, a guy with a wrestling base with a heavy right hand, so I remember watching, like, Jim Miller versus Kamal Shamaru Sh- yeah. over and over, because I, as a southpaw, I, I, you know, I was just trying to find, I wasn't analyst Dan at the time, this is just me being analytical, just for my own good, trying to look, look for things other southpaws did, and Jim Miller, you can count that he was one of the top three southpaws. Dan Tom was trying to model his game after, but this yeah. is nice, man. It's nice to have have somebody that can take over the driving seat once in a while, since usually I'm going first. So I'm going to keep abusing my host role and make you go first again, <laughs> Jordan, for number four. Yeah, no worries. Number four, I think this is a if you were to pull the. Um, uh, the you know not super mega fan if you're po- pulling the casual fan this might be the number one pick um, because I think it would be it, it's an obvious one but I I still think it is uh, pretty fitting and my number four is Brock Lesnar coming out to enter Sandman uh, specifically at UFC 100 was when I noticed it the most it was a, it was a huge event UFC you, you guys remember UFC 100 is huge lead up the card was absolutely stacked it had been a great card up to that main event where he's taken on Frank Mir in the rematch after Mir had submitted him the first time. You know, we had already seen GSP fight. We had already seen Hendo knockout Bisping with one of the craziest knockouts ever. You know, we'd, we'd seen John, a young John Jones early on the card. Like, this card had been fucking insane. And then Mir comes out. Mir's looking like a badass. And then the lights go out. And whether, whether you like or love or hate Metallica, it doesn't matter. You can't deny how 
influential and important the song Enter Sandman is and how literally every single person who's listened to a radio in the last 25 years would can identify that song within 10 seconds. Within but probably 5 seconds. That, that opening guitar riff and the lights go out and you hear that guitar riff and Lesnar, it, it was one of those guys that you think, you know, it's kind of a gimmick at first, but then you're like, holy shit, this guy's actually good. Like, he's a, a legit wrestler, crazy athlete, big, strong dude. And then, you know, the, as the song builds, you see him come out. The, he's got almost the strobe lights going, and it's just, it, it, it's an experience. That's crazy. And that gets everyone in the mood for that main event, and you knew it was about to fucking go down. And then Brock Lesnar went out and just beat the bejesus out of Frank Mir, uh, who, you know, I love Frank Mir. But uh, so yeah, my number four is is uh, is kind of a specific one. It's Brock Lesnar at UFC 100 coming out in the dim lights to Metallica's Enter Sandman blasting, and uh, every single bro in the audience losing their fucking mind. And and that's so crazy, man. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and and secondly, you know, it's crazy because you say bro because it's true. It's a very bro, not very uh, imaginative walkout for it to have such a strong right. effect, you know? And Ex- I'm a, uh, yeah. And I'm a Metallica fan, man. Like, And I'm more of a Kill em All fan. This Enter right. Sandman was more like me and my metal friends. Like, oh, this is what, you know, this is what you put in the weight room and you're lifting weights or something. I'll put it on them. But, right. you know, I'm more, more jam out to Enter Sandman and, uh, or not Enter Sandman, like Master of Puppets or Kill em All or yeah. Ride the Lightning. And yeah. also, you know, coming from wrestling, having that showmanship era and then, of course, mixed martial arts, which I'm sure we'll visit on our list with you know me and you being appreciative of the showmanship angle he really didn't re- rely on that and granted of course UFC couldn't facilitate it like pride but re- regardless he just came out the typical tough white dude look with a tough look on his face a beanie and exactly. playing some metal you know like how many guys do it? it's the most cliche walkout but Brock Lesnar even if you were a detractor going I can't wait to see this guy this guy has got nothing you were like oh right. he's fucking serious like you believed right. it whether you, you were a detractor or not you know, you believed it, and I, I, I'm getting chills down my spine because my number four, which I'm not going to get to quite yet, uh, I just want to pay this its due, it is also from UFC 100, and I'm I, like I said, I had a hard nice. time picking because I was like, oh, so I'm glad I did because yours is from UFC 100, but the one that nixed it was a, a UFC 200 pick, and the okay. reason why I'm bringing that up is because my contribution to the Brock Lesnar one at UFC 200 again, there was not a, a, a lot when you got to the main card. You're kind, you know, I was kind, you know, kind of deflated, and you know, I, I'm a Vegas local, and I don't, you know, I, I got, to, I didn't get to go to 100. And I was really bummed I couldn't get tickets to it. So to go to 200, I wasn't gonna let it. You know, I didn't want to be one of those people that's like, I'm just gonna blindly wave it because I'm on this team. But at the same time, you can't you not enjoy your fucking time. You gotta be be be, be yeah. happy to be there. And, but I'm not going to lie. I was a little bummed on the inside. There was a quiet voice because, again, there were so many changes to that card. But there were you know, two. I'll leave the other one out in case he comes up later. But there were two on the main card where it was just like, oh, my God, this is the, this is the entrance that I've heard for years. And it's kind of weird to say that yeah. with Brock Lesnar because he, had, he didn't have that many fights in retrospect compared to a lot right. of legends that are probably on our list. But it was one of those iconic ones. And I just remember yeah. getting into it. I wasn't even, I didn't even think I was excited for Mark Hunt for Brock Lesnar, you know, much less the Brock yeah. Lesnar portion of it. I didn't know what to expect. Like, it was the most freak show, random, late edition element. And I was just, I was acting like I've been waiting for it. I'm like, I didn't even right. realize I was waiting to hear this all my life, but this is badass. 
everything about it, like you, you summed it up perfectly. Everything about it shouldn't work because it's so cliche. It's this very generic metal song. That's, you know, super popular. Everyone knows it. Like if you had to pull 10 people who you say, Hey, you don't know anything about MMA. What song do you think this guy walks out to? They're like, uh, I don't know. Metallica probably understand man. Like, yep, that's exactly what it is. What do you think an MMA fighter looks like? They describe roughly Brock Lesnar, big white guy, really straight cut hair, tattoos everywhere. Probably looks like a racist, not saying he is, but just saying he probably looks like a racist. They're like, yeah, that's basically what Brock Lesnar looks like. Uh, do you think he's going to wear a beanie with like barbed wire on it? Yeah, probably. Uh, is he sponsored by, <laughs> is he sponsored by beef jerky? Yeah, absolutely. It shouldn't work. It's everything that should be stupid and silly, but it's fucking awesome. When the lights go out and you hear that intro to Metallica's Ender Sandman, and you're like, Oh shit, this is crazy. Why am I getting goosebumps? Why am I excited about Brock fucking Lesnar? But I'm excited about it. One hundred percent. And let's stay again. Let's stay on UFC 100. This is my one hipster pick, but it's really not that much of a hipster pick, Jordan, because there are some picks that whether they make sense or they don't, they stick with you, right? They stick with you from whatever reason. And again, I'm a huge showmanship person, and that's probably going to show through in later picks and honorable mentions. I'm all about the production, and that was always kind of one knock on the UFC is that you know they were kind of limited in what they could do. And yeah. this one is not a notable fighter. In fact, this might have been the only time he came out to this song. So it wasn't like a notable fighter coming out to a notable song. But this fight won Fight of the Night. And the song, ironically, made sense with the words because of how the outcome. Because it was a bit of a controversial outcome. And that was Alan Belcher coming out to Bob Dylan's Hurricane versus Yoshihiro yep. Akiyama. And what was the it was fight? It was a great fight. Great fight. That was the step off the cage Superman punch. You saw like mm-hmm. moves that weren't seen in MMA that everybody were, were mimicking after that. And this was Alan, even if you weren't a fan of Alan Belcher, like this was Alan Belcher in his prime too. Like this was the one kind of loss and hiccup in what was a run because early Alan Belcher was like him showing up in his tie shorts and his shaved head and trying to be a jackass where he would have fights won who would want to showboat and be like, you know what, I want to put this guy away with a spinning elbow right. and, would, would, and make the stupidest decisions and lose fight. So what yeah. was a clearly athletic and talented dude, hence the talent Belcher. And he right. would make these questionable decisions, questionable tattoos even, right? He had the Johnny yes. Cash tattoo at this point already. And... But he he had this run where he was beating you know guys like you know like Cote uh, and other dudes and he ended up having that yep. eye injury sadly that 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 essentially prematurely ended his career he might have Fuck, only, fucked his career yeah yeah he came back tried to have one fight you could tell he was in his own head never fought again yeah I mean he had Husamar Paul Harris not just beating him but was he beat the shit out of Husamar Paul Harris and let him get deep on his legs yeah. guys that beat yeah. him were guys that didn't let Husamar Paul Harris get to their legs like right. if you got yeah. to his legs in a grappling tournament or MMA fight it was done even to this day right. even to this day it's still hard to find those examples of guys yeah. surviving the leg locks and Belcher was just he released videos on YouTube of how he was going to do it in tech Technique videos and showing it, yep. and he went and just did it, and he just beat him down and on the ground, and then elbowed him in the face four hundred times. Yeah, it was just brutal. But <laughs> but uh, Alan Belcher, and again, not one of my top favorite fighters of all time, but a guy at this run was really endearing to me. That song, the whole by the way, awesome movie, Denzel Washington, The Hurricane. If you haven't seen yeah. that, uh, based on a true story, of course. And, uh, you know, it's a song obviously about injustice, just to put in a nutshell, and obviously not as big of an injustice a UFC decision. It's, a, it's an injustice of many. It's not a prison sentence, but uh, ironically appropriate, ironically apropos. Yeah, it's good. It's a good pick, man. I, I One thing when researching this list, I guess all I'll say because I agree with everything you said. Uh, one thing I, I kind of realized when researching this list is that a lot of fighters – 
have great taste in music, man. Yeah. Like, cause I mean, Bob Dylan's obviously iconic right. and hurricane is one of his better known songs and it should be cause it's fantastic. It's, you know, it's a, it's a very apropos song. If you're listening to it in the folk genre, you know, this genre that's risen up out of injustice and is trying to shine a light on, on different social issues. And, uh, I, I like that when guys can use that, uh, in, in like, it, it's interesting that guys can use these, uh, these, songs that have these messages that are kind of bigger than what's going on right now. And I, I think it can, it can suck and fail and it can really work. And that's one of the times I think it worked well. Absolutely. And again, there's not a lot of, um, you know, drama or production you can add. It's essentially just a guy running yeah. out, giving a bunch of high fives with arms swarming around him. If you're beloved, and maybe it's a bunch yep. of the era that we're from. One of the guys I picture that classic, the, the fan swarming and the guy with his hands out, you picture rich, rich, rich ace Frank Franklin. There's, yeah, there's, Franklin. There's yeah. a crazy highlight that just seems like to be embedded in our heads if you're from that era. And I get that when I picture this Alan Belcher one. I don't know why. It's just stuck in my head, the song. It's just one of those weird ones that just clicks. So that was my number four. But Jordan, let's go to number three. If you don't mind, you mind staying in the driver's seat? or Not at all, man. All right, man. Um yeah, my, my number three. So I think one one thing I tried to decide when when filtering down my list was I like songs that either a describe the person or the setting. So like a guy uh, that's using a guy or a girl that's using a song that's like deeply personal and either means something to them or it says something about them as a fighter or the fight itself. Or I like someone that's using it to use the atmosphere. Like I think uh, Ashley Daly is a good example. She used that perfectly because the atmosphere was 100 percent on her side already everyone's singing this irish song this one falls in the first category this song represents this fighter this is jeremy stevens at ufc 189 coming out to easy E's real motherfucking g's and it's uh not only is it a great song uh it's you know uh, early west coast rap when it was starting to get big easy e nwa all those guys starting to blow up uh the song essentially is about uh guys who uh, it's easy to talk shit it's easy to talk a big game it's easy to uh go around and uh try to prove yourself as this big guy uh this tough motherfucker without actually doing anything you know what jeremy stevens says i'm a real motherfucking g i'm gonna stand in this octagon and sling fucking leather and that's what he does man and at ufc 189 that's what he did like so uh it, it's uh it, it, it's actually one of my favorite clips of an intro because as soon as the song starts you can see two of the security guards like oh is this dude really coming out to easy real motherfucking g's and they start laughing kind of but jeremy stevens is getting hyped up he's clapping his hands he's rapping along and then by the time he got there uh i i think that's one that might go over a lot of people's heads because it's it's easy to play off uh i guess i'm gonna i'm gonna make a blanket statement here it's easy for white people to play off rap music as something that's just uh nonsensical and doesn't have a message and it's just oh it's just uh, gangsters making music that rhymes and they put girls in bikinis but a lot of times the music has a message just as much. It, it may not come from your perspective or your culture, but music has a message and easy all his songs have messages, whether you like them or they, they resonate with you. It doesn't matter. But that song I think is perfectly fitting for Jeremy Stevens, who is again, a really tough guy who is always down to scrap and he is a real motherfucking G. So that's mine. Uh, Jeremy Stevens, UFC 189, real motherfucking G. Hey, 100% and like songs that fit a person. And it was weird because like, I remember that in ring entrance. I remember that card and I definitely, it, it, it definitely hit with me, but, as far as that song, like I actually had that thought that like this song fits that guy, but not at the 189. It was after um, was it UFC Vegas? Uh, 
Garbrandt fought Almeida, yeah. and he, yeah, Stevens fought Burrell. Right. And afterwards, um, uh, I was hanging out with uh, uh, my friends from uh, Junkie Radio and, and Stitch Duran, and we went to this place. Uh, it's just a little like bar, or whatever, called like Eye Candy or whatever. And like some of the fighters were having their after parties there. Uh, what's his name? That athletic dude from Ohio, that heavyweight guy, who just fought Curtis Blades, got his knee bl- blown out. He was having a good old time. He just won. He just bought. He just beat Chris De La Hocha. And uh, Jeremy Stevens shows up for his, and he was actually just really genuine. Like you know, Cup. It was, it was cool actually. Like Cup Swanson showed up, and they had a moment, and you could tell it was just his friends and family. And yeah, he had a suit on or whatever, but he wasn't like clubbing or being crazy or drunk or doing like he was just having a good time, appreciating himself and this and that. But I remember looking over at Stevens, and I just thought of his entrance song, and I was like, God damn. That song's appropriate. That guy got some motherfucking chi. Like it just, it just fit. So it's kind of a weird like moment that I thought maybe I was just crazy for having a click. But if it makes my man Jordan's top five list, well, I guess I'm not crazy for thinking that song fits Jeremy Stevens. No, no, you're right. He's a G man. This dude started fighting in 2005 when he was like 17 years old. Like he's been around for so long. If you think of Jeremy Stevens, you're like, oh, this guy's been fighting in the UFC for over a decade. He's got to be 40. Uh, no, you're wrong. He just turned 31. Oh yeah, he's a quint- just, and he's yeah. he's a quintessential underdog too. Which you know, I love me some yeah. underdogs, but he's also like that. He's that guy. Like he's always in the fight, even when he's the dog, and he's the dog most of the times. So I think Jeremy Stevens and- has been an underdog in like seven of his last nine fights, or something crazy. Yeah, and also that fight the, at UFC 189 was one of the craziest fights of all time. It it, it somehow oh, yeah. uh, it. It, it didn't win fight of the night only because Robbie Lawler, Rory McDonald was on the same same card. But uh, Stevens Bermudez is a fucking war. If you watch, go back and watch that fight. So I think that intro when he's ho hyped, listening that he yeah, you know what? I am a real motherfucking G. Listen, coming out to that and then standing in the middle of the cage and trading leather for three rounds, man, and ending it with a flying knee. So yeah, he's a fucking G. Oh shit, I'm looking back right now. My records. I'm like, did that make my top five featherweight wars? Because it was one of those stable fights that was always on there. Maybe I might have changed it. 11th hour to talk about something different because it didn't but Stevens Bermudez is usually one of those like staple top five featherweight wars of all time and if it didn't happen the same night as McDonald's fucking Lawler then it would have been a fight of the year shoo-in you know if it didn't happen that same night you know same year even (laughs) but yeah that's a that's a great one all right my number three uh, I almost feel bad picking this one because it's just it's so goddamn obvious but it's again you want to talk about list staples I couldn't leave this one on there um, it represents the showmanship, the Japanese era, which I keep kind of cheating to. But this is more of the goofy side to it. Jordan, if this is on your list, uh, I'm sorry and feel free to double dip. But I had to go to Dream 4 and I had to go to Mayhem Miller's fight with Jacare Silva, which it being, it being commentated by Michael Chevello makes it even better. I think it wouldn't have been yeah. half as good if you didn't have Michael Chavello literally losing his crap. Like, I don't know if Chavello's into Japanese girls, but like, I think he's into Japanese girls just by hearing his, hearing the way he intros it. He goes, living my dream! Or whatever. He says it like, you can tell like he genuinely, it's one of those things where you're being entertaining, you're upping it by ten, you know, as, as great commentators often do. But there's also right. a little bit, of, there's also a little bit of truth in there. A little bit of Chavello sure. really appreciated that Mayhem Miller coming out with the schoolgirls. This is Mayhem Miller. It's sad kind of now. We've seen the, the retrogression, the, the police standoffs, all these very sad things. But, like, Mayhem Miller was, like, I remember, I mean, I had, like, Mormon friends that were, like, they didn't follow MMA that much, but they like Mayhem Miller and Mayhem Monkeys yeah. and, you know, MTV, too. He reached this whole other audience. He was also one of the few writers, mm-hmm. or fighters who was also a writer. He would write for Fight Magazine. was pretty talented. Like, he was yeah. a guy where you're like, oh, this guy's going to have fucking options when he's done fighting. 
and I don't want to turn this into the wow, the money fell from grace, but that is a part of the story. But at this time, though, Mayhem Miller was at the top of his game. I agree, man. I, it got bumped from my list, but it was on there initially, so it's in my honorable mentions. Uh, you could almost name any single Mayhem Miller introduction pre-UFC, you know, when he's out there being able to do his thing because he's he's one of the ultimate showmen. And, yeah, it, it's honestly – I guess I'll just say this. I hope Mayhem gets some help. He needs some help because he's a super talented guy, super bright guy uh, that I think, yeah, could do anything he wants to do because he was great. He hosted a TV show. How many MMA fighters right now do you think could – Honestly, host a TV show and do it pretty damn well because Mayhem was really good at it. So I, I, I honestly don't think there's that many guys that could pull it off the way he did. So, so I mean, Mayhem, uh, he was a very good fighter. Uh, I mean, shit, he almost beat Jake. He almost choked out Jake Shields. You yeah, remember that? I remember that. Yeah. I was losing my shit. Saved by the bell. Literally, Literally. saved by the bell. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, uh, Mayhem was a super talented fighter, always had intro- entertaining intros, and uh, I hope he gets some help because I really like him still, and I'd like to see him do other things outside of MMA. Me too. And the sad part is I hope he realized that if in, in the sense of if it helps him, you know, get better. But more yeah. importantly, as much as easy as it is, and I'm not defending anything he's done, by the way, and nor, sure. nor, nor do I have a you know only a certain amount of sympathy for somebody who has opportunities, obviously. But I, too, am a fan, and regardless of not being a fan anymore, obviously, um, from the more sympathetic aspect of mental health and how we're kind of correlating brain trauma and we're watching guys, make, yeah. uh, you know, without bringing up too much of Tim Hager, Matt Hughes, but we're seeing questionable decisions in different ways yeah. in and out of the ring, and there's a lot of signs it's pointing to head trauma. So this could be an epidemic that we're facing, and sadly, I wish this weren't the case. I wish Mayhem you know, was just an odd guy. We'd be like, oh, look what that guy did, but sadly, right. he's not the only one. So hopefully um, he does get help, and people are a little more forgiving and a little more helpful, more importantly, to fighters yeah. uh, and understanding of their situations because, man, these guys sacrifice, I think, more than they know and certainly more than we know. Um, to, yeah. to be able to, to give us these memories that we can ha- talk about here on the show. To end it on a light note, I bet he has a good story about shitting his pants. Oh, I bet you he has plenty of shit stories from him <laughs> and other parties. But that, that's neither here nor, nor there. That's either here nor there. But the, that was a classic. Uh, speaking of shit, that was a classic <laughs> Japanese. That was a classic Japanese entrance. Um, um, and and, and I, I could not have that one not on my list. So that brings us to number two, my friend. What do you got? What do you got? All right, no, number. Uh, just a, a Japanese entrance is also something you typically have to pay a lot of money for. Yes. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'd like the Japanese entrance, please. Uh, <laughs> cost you. Uh, my, my my number two uh, may be on your list. I think this might be the first crossover, but we'll see. Just because I think that it might be the best song on my list, just like my personal favorite, uh, and also it. This is another one that I associate the song with the fighter so clearly, and I think a lot of people do. And this isn't a specific one. This is just the fighter in the song because he always comes out the same one. And it's Frankie Edgar coming out to Biggie. Biggie. And because you hear the, the Biggie, dun, 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 dun. And then Frankie Edgar, you know he's running his ass to the octagon. And it's like, oh, shit. And Frankie literally runs. He runs from the back to the octagon every single time. And that's so indicative of him. The song kicks in. It's upbeat. It's bumping. It's biggie. It's East Coast. It's Frankie Edgar to a T, man. And it gets him out there and it gets him piped. And I think it gets a lot of people hyped. So I don't have a lot to say about that one. I just think it's perfectly fitting. And Frankie did a good job of finding a song that, hey, kicks fucking ass. 
ass, and B, fits his personality perfectly. Man, 100%. I'm glad you brought this up on, on your list because, A, Biggie Smalls, for, for all y'all to know, if you didn't know already, uh, Dan Tom's favorite hip-hop artist, uh, East Coast hip-hop uh, all day. If you thought I was hating on East Coast before, oh, no, no. I'd take East Coast over West Coast, and I have more residency record on the West Coast between Hawaii and Vegas, you know. But, uh, but no, I, I'm Biggie all day. And then, two, you know, there were running, there was emotional, there was a lot of energy going to the octagon or the ring or whatever, right, in, in our selections and our homework. But when it comes to running to, the, to, to a fight, come on. Nobody, Frankie Edgar is number one. Nobody owns the run to the octagon, to the cage, to the ring or whatever. Nobody runs and or owns that association like Frankie Edgar. He definitely deserves to be on this list. And, and sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just saying, I think it, I, no, I was just going to say, I think it can come off as cheesy sometimes. I think a lot of guys see Frankie do it and they start, they do a little jog to the octagon too. And I, I think it could come off as really cheesy when other, when some other people do it. I'm not going to name names, but I've seen other guys <laughs> who do this like little pseudo jog. They get half the way and then they start walking maybe. But like Frankie, it's like, he can't wait to get in there. Like he's chomping at the bit to get in there and get punched in the face. That's how fucking insane mm. and tough and awesome Frankie Edgar is. And we should cherish that fucking guy because there's not a lot of people that are so goddamn amped to get in there and trade leather and beat people up like Frankie Edgar is. MMA is Robert De Niro, little Bobby D. Yeah, that's what he. Yeah. Wants. But but yeah, man, and and not even worried about his gas tank one bit. And once again, no. our our list has parallels, my friend. Because your number two is Frank Yedger. And mine, yeah, that's right, mine is BJ Penn. And I originally nice. wasn't going to have him on this list. Um, and I got to give a shout out, uh, a little premature um, submissions and transition, if you will, to another another frequent guest of the show, Daniel Levy at Best Fight Picks. Uh, that was one of his, was old school BJ Penn was his contribution as a whole. And again, as a whole kind of seems like the right way if you're going to have BJ Penn as a pick, but mine, actually yeah. the reason why BJ Penn made my list, you know, aside from, you know, it seemed almost too predictable, but was because this is a specific moment. This is kind of a unique entrance of his and was one I didn't get to witness. Um, in 2006, I worked a valet job. I was working a valet job at the time for you know, Caesar's Palace. Uh, and uh, I remember trying to get that night off when UFC 63 happened, and it was BJ Penn oh, versus Matthews 2. And my yeah. friends that got me in MMA at the time were, were watching all my friends from my band. My buddy, I just mentioned Steve Cruz there. Shout out. He was, uh, you know, he was like, come on, man, you got to get it off. And I was just kind of, you know, getting into MMA at the time. And, you know, he, he introduced me to BJ Penn. He's like, oh, dude, you're going to shit yourself. There's a, there's a guy that's like your size, a Hawaiian dude. He's mopping the scene, yo. Of course, I became a BJ Penn fan, but I couldn't make this because I was not just a valet runner. I was a door guy. So I'd hand the tickets. I'd be the one right. hustling for money and this and that. And unfortunately, when you're in that position, you're good at your job. Your boss is going to let you let you go early. So I kind of already it was at the point of the point of the night where I accepted I was going to get an early out and I'm just kind of parking you know the cars up at front and luckily you know we get to deal with a lot of the nice cars up there real high end and I was driving one of my first Bentleys my first Bentley if you listen to I think top five KO lists uh or kick KOs, I should say, was uh, I, it was Tito Ortiz Bentley actually when he was dating Jenna Jameson. Mm. That dates it. It was the first Bentley I drove, but this was just some random schmoes Bentley, and I'd get in, and you'd be working these long nights, and for a second you'd get in these really like nice cars, Jordan. You'd pretend for a second, like what if I own this car? You you blast the music, you know, you kind of get lost, especially when it's slower at the end of the night. And there'd, there'd be these, these moments where I kind of forget about my job. I'm sure we all do this when we're in a job, and we think about where we'd rather be. And ironically, Charles sure. Barkley was on the radio, and this song just came out, like it was popping, right? <laughs> Like it just yeah. Uh, yeah. 
I think I'm crazy. I'm not going to sing it, but you know what song I'm talking about. And it's coming on, and I remember just kind of looking at this nice, like, display in the Bentley luxury thing, pretending that I owned it for a split second, and listening to this song, wishing, man, I wish I was just rolling up in this car, going into the MGM so I could watch this goddamn fight. Little did I know, at that same time, while Dan Tom's listening to Narles Barkley, which for whatever reason triggered him to thinking about the BJ Penn fight, BJ Penn, who never used that song before or since, never uses his Hawaiian music, and I'm sure I'll probably... It transitioned. I'll, yeah, it's a beautiful transition, and and, and, and I'll, yeah. knowing me, I'll probably edit it into the background here, but you have that classic Israel Kamokea, you know, entrance, where it's the slow kind of guitar creeping with the slow slow operatic voice, he's slowly singing you in, and then bum, 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 bass hits, I remember when... Our, and he comes mm-hmm. in, and not only is this a badass, even here, Joe Rogan in, in the background, which again, if I, if I, if I edit it in here, you'll hear him go, he'll go, oh, that's a walkout, ladies and gentlemen. I just came back from Hawaii, and he's going off, right, talking about, he's like, this guy's a hero, and da da da. And he goes, and it's this crazy walkout, but here's what makes this walkout extra special, especially of the modern era, maybe before then, like the no rules era where there's no gloves you had this in the UFC, but even in like, you know, Pride or Japan, by the time they got into the ring, they were declothed. BJ Penn gets his Vaseline put on with his shirt, and he goes to step in with a long sleeve shirt, not just a t shirt. And you see yeah. the guy, it wasn't even a, 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 McCarthy was refereeing it, but the referee or official that was in charge of the Grease Down Station was a, a guy that mm-hmm. I don't even recognize, put it that way. So he wasn't like a, a name I could. I could reference to you, but he stops BJ and puts his hand like, what are you doing? Like your shirt pointing. And then you see people around him going like, let that's BJ Penn, like making the noise, like, no, no, let him do it. And then BJ Penn kind of just turns and looks at him and he puts his hand on it. And the guy, the guy's hand goes up and goes, okay. And then BJ Penn just <laughs> walks into the ring like a boss. I'm going to wear my fucking shirt. I don't care if it's against the rules. I'm BJ Penn. And you see, of course, when he gets in there, that guy was worried, but big John McCarthy, not worried at all. And you know, when the, when the fighters go to the entrance, the, the, they do the repeat of the rules. You actually hear the mic on and McCarthy just goes, all right, BJ, I'm just going to say if you're ready. And then that's all, that's all I'm going to bug you for the rest of the fight. Cool? Cool. And that's it. And he just walks away and BJ Penn is just sitting there with his t-shirt on. And of course, by the time Buffer announced him, the t-shirt's off. But again, just, just proving a different era, proving how special that motherfucker was. Do you uh, have any weigh-ins or relevance on this one, uh, Jordan? That's it. That's a perfect one. I mean, BJ's on my honorable mentions, and yeah, I wrote, I even wrote 63 next to it because yeah, that that was the coolest one. Like he comes out to Bretta is every time, but like that transition where it goes to the Gnarls Barkley song, I was like, oh shit, that's fucking cool. I, I'm surprised he never did it again. Maybe maybe BJ's kind of superstitious, and he ended up losing that fight, even though it was a great fight. Uh, you know, I, I I don't know, but yeah, it was it was awesome. I agree. That's a that's a great pick, man. And again, you want to talk about songs? Uh, the point you brought up so beautifully, songs identifying with a fight. This was yeah. BJ Penn then, and sadly, sadly, it was kind of the story of his career till now. You know, crazy. You know, I remember when I lost my mind and just kind of trying to yeah. trying to go, trying to refine yourself and try to find that 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 monster, that fire that once was. So it was kind of crazy, a poetic that is. Absolutely, man. You're right. It's a it's a it's a it's a good one because uh, you associate like. I'll also say this. I don't associate any fighter with where they're from more than BJ Penn as right. well. I think maybe maybe Connor in Ireland, but it's it, they're 1A and 1B. Connor in Ireland and uh, BJ and Hawaii. Those are like the two I think of. This is where a guy's from. The music is like, you know, uh, uh, Israel is like very, like, you, you are, you know, you're Hawaiian, so you know this. But for those of you guys who don't know, uh, Israel is huge there. He's a very important person. He was a very philanthropic person. He's very important to the 
to the Hawaiian people in the Hawaiian music scene specifically, man. He did a lot of he opened a lot of doors for a lot of people. And everyone knows his cover of Somewhere Over the Rainbow, but he's got a t- you know huge catalog of music. And uh, and so like I think it's it's apropos that you know a guy who's probably the most famous uh, ho- uh, musician from uh, from Hawaii and then the most famous fighter from Hawaii is you know that's the you you correlate them together. One hundred percent. And before I fire it over to you for the number one, just one more BJ Penn moment. Uh, and, and unique entrance was the Rumble on the Rock entrance when he fought Rodrigo Gracie oh, yeah. with the Hula Girls, and he comes yeah. out and he's taken. It's one of my favorite BJ Penn highlights by Hypnotic. Got taken down from YouTube. Can find it on Vimeo. Um, he's taking <laughs> off his shirt as he's walking to the Hula Dancers, and the fire's going up. And That's that was cool. badass because during the fight, like I actually own that DVD, that Rumble on the Rock. That's like like second or third round, like the cameraman is on the fight, but a fight breaks out in the audience, which is not abnormal. It happens at almost every MMA event. Always. Since it's fucking Hawaii, and I love Hawaii, I am Hawaiian, so so forgive me for this, especially the accent here, but the cameraman stops. The BJ fucking Penn is fighting a Gracie, stops, moves the camera over to the fight <laughs> in the audience and records that. Almost like you could hear him saying, hey guys, try for wait one second. We got we got one fight in the audience, huh? <laughs> oh guys, pause for one second. Uh, you guys scrapping over here. Whoa. And he just stops and you literally see the whole fight play out to like a few seconds after security finally breaks it up. Then the guy goes back. And the round's ending, like, BJ Penn and Grace, yeah, one second, guys, there's a crowd scrap going on here, and that's actually on the DVD, by just a little Easter egg, so. It's probably nine-year-old Louis Smolka just throwing fucking hands. Yeah, fucking getting Max Holloway throwing popcorn on yeah. both the guys. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, that's crazy, funny. That's funny. Right. You know, I want to turn around on you. I want you to yeah. go first for number one. I've been going first the whole time. I want you to go no- go first. God damn it. All right. I'm wondering if we're going to have crossover here, Jordan. This is this is my goodness. I mean, I, I cheated. I, I cheated into it. I led into it. Japan showmanship. You're playing the drums. And that's almost perfect. There's no drums in maybe the song, but goddamn, is it epic! And it captures the martial arts spirit, the, I dare say, samurai spirit. You know, there's few guys from BJ Penn to, to Ensign Inoue who. You believe them when they say, I'm going in here and I'm ready to die. And uh, even though this wasn't this fighter's thing, you believed Yoshihiro Akiyama was ready to die because, god damn, he came in. I don't know how samurais went into battle. There's no footage of that. But I got to imagine it's something close or at least, you know, Dan Tom's going to, the childhood part of him is going to allow this to be my imagination. Has to look like Yoshihiro Akiyama going into war. You, you, the classic Bocelli, you know, time to say goodbye. And you listen to the words of it. Like it's a very classical song, which by the way, apparently is still one of the highest priced shows to go see, see them uh, when they come through Vegas. Um, you, you, this classical song you wouldn't associate with combat, but he said, Saying goodbye to everybody, and this one specifically happened at K1 Dynamite. Bellator is trying to bring back the Dynamite, but the original Dynamite was in K1, baby. This was 2006, and Akiyama was fighting Sakuraba, who already entered the Sakuraba, ring. yeah. Yep, and 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 this is this crazy, this beautiful elaborate for that K1 Dynamite, which you know I'll probably touch on because an honorable mention will come will come come from this very same show. And then this really beautiful elaborate in Saitama Super Arena, 80,000 people. And he comes out with his whole whole contingent of students, of judo judo students in their mm-hmm. knees. 
and he, they, they do their kneeling thing in a triangle formation like the, a giant Mighty Ducks army and they bow to the stage and then Akiyama stands yeah. up leading the bow stands up leading the stand turns around stands everybody up bows to them turns and he would do this in the UFC and you could almost see him having tears in his eyes when he did it because he was so much into it and people would make fun of it because it was like this you know oh this, ooh, this Japanese guy in a gi what a pussy you know or whatever like that typical you know American kind of toward that type of fighter and then you have this kind of song that's not a masculine song by any means right. so if you were watching in like a casual room maybe in 2009 or 2010 when Akiyama made it to the UFC there'd be a couple people that were detracted like what the fuck is this yeah. guy but you see that he's, he's tearing in his eyes there's real emotion there because you know movie star every reason this guy has to phone it in Japan and fixing fights all the stereotypes and things this guy could be a part of you could see that, oh, shit, this guy's not banking on any of that right now. He is a fucking warrior. And then when he would come in there, even facing diversity, Vitor Belfort or other guys, he was still hitting like a fucking truck. And, uh, mm-hmm. and god damn, that is just, you want to talk epic Japanese showman, everything. Yoshihiro Yakiyama, go look it up. YouTube, they have it, thankfully, one of the few interests they have for Sakuraba. That's my number one, Jordan. That's a fantastic number one. The only reason I did not put that on my list because I <clears throat> I sat down. The way I do my lists is I start at number one and I work back. Nice. Right? So, like, when I thought of the best ones, that one was the first one that came to my mind mixed with my number one, right? Mm-hmm. And so I thought if I can't justify this at number one, I don't want to put it on my list because I, I am almost positive Dan is going to put it on his list because I feel like this deserves to be number one and I don't want to put it behind anything, as silly as that may sound. Oh, no, that's awesome. Uh, the the way that you described that was so perfect because I remember I didn't see a ton of Akiyama when he was fighting in Japan because it was hard to, it was hard to to watch you know as a as a, somebody in landlocked uh, rural United States like I you know I wasn't able to to check out a lot of the K ones I've since gone back and watched them but my first introduction to Akiyama was when he signed with the UFC I had to go back and I was like watching his fights on online and stuff like that so uh, yeah I remember the first time I watched him fight and he comes out and his gi and he kneels and he's got the Andrea Bocelli uh, song going in the background and he's bowing to everyone. I'm like, this is weird. It's different. I've never seen something like this. And the more I thought about it and the more times I saw it, the more times I really grew to respect it because you're right. If, if we're boiling this down to the most primal version of this, these are two men about to go to war. They're going to war to each other to see who can conquer the other. And that is such an emotional thing when you think about it. And throughout history, you're right, man. I We don't know what samurai life was like but i like to think that you know they they knew that there was a good chance they weren't coming home when they rode off to go to war when they rode off to fight they knew that so like coming out to a song like time to say goodbye and he's being so uh so respectful and full of honor towards everyone even his opponent and the people there to pay to watch him fight you know it's it's one of those things that, like, in recent times, I've become – with age, I've become more sentimental and I've become more emotional to things because you, you gain more perspective on life as you get older. You know, you have more experiences to fall back on. You, you're you able to fathom things in a different way than 18-, 19-year-old, uh, you know, yourself would do. So I remember, like, last year watching Akiyama come out. I think it was the UFC 100 uh, actually, when he came out, when he was fighting Belcher, and he came out and he's in his gi and he gets down and he's bowing, and like Rogan almost sounds like he's got tears in his eyes when he's talking about it, and like I get that now because I'm thinking about it and like I'm starting to tear up. I'm like, this is a fucking warrior. This is the absolute. This guy embodies the warrior spirit more than anyone else in this fucking sport. 
like he, he's doing it the right way. And yeah, I wish I could have seen that earlier, but you know, when you're young, you don't uh, necessarily, you're, you don't have all the tools to comprehend that, but it's, that's such a good pick because I think you're dead on man. Like that's the, it's the true warrior spirit. It's what this is boiled down to any form of, of a combat sport is what it's boiled down to and it's respect. And, uh, and man, Akiyama does not get the credit that he deserves, man. He's been in there with some of the, baddest killers in the world watch his fucking fight with melvin manhoof that's a fight that not a lot of people have seen melvin came out throwing goddamn sledgehammers just fucking rocked akiyama in his gi akiyama's in his gi manhoof's in these tight little shorts throwing leg kicks throwing uppercuts and he hurts akiyama bad and then akiyama gets in fucking sweet ass judo toss you know i'm not super familiar with judo so i don't know all the technical terms so i'll say it like this it was a fucking badass judo toss and he he, he mounted uh, Manhope and then armbarred him, and it was fucking awesome. So uh, it, it, that's a great pick, man. Akiyama does not get enough credit. Hundred percent. And and again with the warrior thing, and you know we don't know samurais, but what we do know, sadly, and again not to glorify or or sadden the mood, but it, it's relevantly speaking with the Tim Hag thing. You know, this is still a very violent sport. Like, it sounds like, oh, I'm ready to go in there and die. Like, no, there there is truth to that. Whether or not you want to believe that fighter is up to you. But that doesn't change the fact that their life is on the line, whether they're going to promote it in their showmanship of walkout or or speech or not. That doesn't change the fact that they're sacrificing something that's unfathomable to most people that most people will never or would want to ever sacrifice. And and two, um, you know... uh, with the hand holding and the reason why that would kind of you know generate laughs depending on what room of audience you're with, how many dudes you're with, right? Sure. But, but that thing with the samurai, a little history lesson, like the samurai, you know, they weren't all about holding hands and like you know they weren't making out with each other or anything, but they embraced stuff that would you know quote unquote emasculate your typical man of today. Like they embraced yeah. flowers, for example, because. Whether it's holding the hand of your comrade who he was going to watch your back in battle or embracing and appreciating a flower, this wasn't sissy stuff to them because what that represented was the delicacy of life. Appreciating your friends, appreciate, and the flowers represented that fragility of life because they've taken life or, or have seen life taken and know that it's inevitable for them that it, it makes you live with a certain amount of respect. Now, in today's society, we live in the most violent, least violent of times. We thankfully don't have yeah. to live with those ideals, but if anybody right. comes close, yes, it is the modern-day fighter. So, man, Jordan, I, on that note, what, what is your number one, sir? That, that, I like your, your, your process, by the way. Thank you for that, and I'm excited to yeah. be number one. It, you know, it, that actually transitions pretty well. I'm not the most um, – I, I want to be careful the way I phrase this because I'm not anti-military in any regard. But I'm not one of the guys who just because I see something is like military, I'm not like, oh, that's automatically the best, right. if that makes sense. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, obviously I respect and support uh, the military, the sacrifices everybody makes, men and women of the, the armed forces, all that good stuff. Um, so this one might be a surprise to people who know me because uh, I'm not a huge fan of this fighter even but i think this is the most poignant walkout and it's tim kennedy at ufc 178 coming out to rooster by allison chains um that is a song if you got like first of all allison chains is a tremendously underrated underappreciated band in that grunge scene that i think gets swept under the carpet behind pearl jam and nirvana and guys like that which i mean granted those bands are very revolutionary they're very important but allison chains if you go back and listen to their first couple albums they those are just as good if not better than any i would i would say in my opinion than anything pearl jam or nirvana put out in that era as well allison chains tremendous 
tremendously underrated and a band that we didn't get to really see grow into themselves because obviously their singer Lane Staley passed away uh, due to addiction. But but Jerry Cantrell, the guitar player, backup singer, Allison James, wrote the song Rooster about his dad who was in the Vietnam War, right? And if you listen to the lyrics, it's, it's about how this young kid who's just gotten married goes off to war and how real it is. And then they come home and it's not the way they thought it was going to be. You know, they have people who, who uh, are opposed to the war, so they called, you know, they, they look down on them for what they did when they're just a young kid trying to figure out their life, you know. And Tim Kennedy comes out to this song, which is obviously deeply personal to him. You know, he's a he's a Green Beret. He's a sniper. He's been in action. You know, this guy's seen actual battles. And he comes out to this deeply personal song about uh, this guy who's been in war. You know, and, and it's coming back, and he timed it so fucking perfectly. And Tim Kennedy's a bright guy. I'm just not. I've never been a huge fan of him as a fighter. You know, I'm just not. Uh, I, I respect him. I know he's great, uh, but he timed it really well. Because if you guys are familiar with the song, which Dan, I know you're. I know you're familiar with the song, but he timed it perfectly where he gets to the cage, and before he walks in the cage, he spreads his arms out and he turns around to the crowd right when that song fucking kicks in. Oh, oh yeah. You know we ain't gonna die. And like, oh my god, dude, that play, it gives me fucking chills just thinking about it. Uh, and he, he, uh, he went out and had a, a crazy fight with Yoel Romero that night, but, but that, that I think is the most fitting personal walkout song that I can think of. And again, I'm not this crazy, you know, everything's the best just because it has the words military or army in it. But but Tim Kennedy coming out to a song that I think is a very uh, poignant song if you read the lyrics and you know you know the backstory of it. Uh, this guy who's seen combat action, he's coming out. To him, man, it's a, I mean, it's a fight. What's the worst that can happen? He's been shot at. You know, he's been, he's been in actual wars. So like, it, it's crazy to me, man. I, I'm, I'm literally, I have the goosebumps right now just thinking about it. So that's my number one. Man, I'll, I'll be honest. This didn't, I, I, I didn't have this on my honorable mention, not because it's not worthy or on my list, not because it's not worthy. I just forgot about it. But I, yeah. I was forced to remember two things. One, I was forced to remember this one because Tim Kennedy hasn't fought in a minute, but he fought at UFC 206. So um, he hasn't fought since I've been doing doing the the breakdowns and you know analyst gig over there at mixedmartialanalyst dot com and so I got to run Tim Kennedy through the comb and of course you know at the end of the study at, at least up till two oh six his last fight before then was what was Jordan mm-hmm. talking about one seventy eight fights Yoel Romero and I remember that the timing I didn't catch the timing before it was awesome but I probably didn't catch the timing before because I was in conversation to somebody who probably, if they were on this episode, would have it on their top five as well. And I don't want to speak for them, but that is probably the only person who's been on this show more than Jordan Killian is my man Brian Schoonover from the After Party Edition. Me and Brian, as you know, best buds. We're both singers of band, former singers of bands, both music buffs. So I remember when this was coming out, and he was just going off like he's like, I love this fucking entrance. Like we we're talking about, you know, he's he was explaining the lyrics, which I was familiar with, but it was just one of those things where like, yeah, oh, that makes sense. Tim Kennedy will walk out to it now that you mention it. And uh, the dynamic there, and and just just I just kind of almost exclaiming, just like we've seen it before. Like I think the first time I, I saw it and remember seeing it was probably his fight versus Rafael Natal. Yeah. Um, you know, and that was kind of cool too because you had the atmosphere of the troops, which made for it awesome. Right, but. It was. It's also a short walkout on those fight for the troops things. For this one, it was in the MGM. Like Tim actually had the time to do what you were talking about. He actually had the yeah. time to time it, and we were just. I remember both just admiring, our the brilliance of it, and we were like, "Oh, this is perfect!" Like 
This is a really good fucking walkout. And I don't want to speak for my buddy, Brian, but I'm pretty sure he would be right with you and having this right up there high on his list. Yeah, and you know what else? I think this is a good example of a slower song being intimidating. Yeah. Like, it's hard to do that. It's hard to do a slow-paced song and be intimidating, but, man, that song builds, and it's in these – It's the guitar's got this weird almost chorus effect on it, and it, it sounds like you're listening to it underwater almost, like you're hiding from someone, and they're they're telling you about – like, the song tells a story, and it's, it's almost, like, ominous sounding, and then when that song fucking kicks in, and, like, you feel it in your chest, and it's – I think this is one of the few examples of a slow song still being intimidating rather than, you know, something up in your face and, and getting going. Yeah. And if you, you know, and again, this is a song that's been like played on radio. Like you should be familiar with this song and you should know this song. It's a good song. And it was a good song before I got an MMA, you know what I'm saying? But whether you like Tim Kennedy or not, you, chances are you probably associate the song with him. Right. But yeah. Great stuff, man. I'm going to pull up some um, submissions in transition right now, and we'll wrap this up with our honorable mentions. Sound good? Yep. All right. I want to pull this up for a second. This is a really – ah, oh, man. This is a real blast of an episode, man. All right. We're going to pull up – going to go Twitter first and then um, Facebook. I don't think we got anything on Instagram. Instagram has been a little slow to pick up, but if you want to follow us there, again, it's the same as our Twitter, at uh, the PYM podcast on Instagram, and yes, on Facebook, the same thing. Facebook.com backslash uh, the PYM podcast or Protect Your Neck podcast, and it should uh, show up for you. All right, we had uh, Keith McKenna, like we said from MMA Latest News. Shout out to Keith at Keith McKenna. Um, forever, we'll say at Asling Daily Zombie entrance uh, for, for his list, and we covered that beautifully. And uh, along with McGregor at UFC 189, two greatest I've experienced live. That's right. Keith was also at, uh, not just at 200 with me, but he's also at UFC 189. Great, great, great stuff there by, uh, by old Keith. And, uh, and yeah, you already mentioned those. One of them was on your list even, but the, the McGregor one, it cared away in on those. That was the first, that's worth mentioning because that was the first UFC live band entrances, right? It was just affliction before that, right, Jordan? Yeah, you know what? I I hate to say this. I'm sure it was different being there. So I I think being there probably gave it an extra oomph. But I actually, I personally sitting at home liked McGregor's recorded intro better than the live one. Me too. Uh, yeah, I I think the and the same thing with Mendez. Man, I I don't think it was a, a great a great uh, intro for him either. But I, I I totally get being an Irishman, being there, having it live. I'm sure that is a crazy experience. For sure. All right. Well, I'm going to jump to uh, Facebook. Um, Jeff Held. He, he's got one of my honorable mentions. This is this is my honorable mention from, from the Bellator side of the thing. He says, Caveman David Rickles, number one. No one yeah, close. That's a, that's a good one. That's a good one, man. <laughs> and that is a good one. Whether you like it or think it's the stupidest thing, you have to give him credit because he went fucking, you know, you, you, they say you never go full retard to quote uh, Tropic Thunder. He went, Dave yeah. Rickles went full retard, right, Jordan? Absolutely. Yeah, he comes up with a dinosaur and a big club <laughs> over his shoulder. It's fucking awesome. Yeah, how can you how can you not go full after that? All right, uh, Kate Trombley. Um, BJ Penn's walkout is iconic, as are Fabers and Vanderlei Silvas. All three of those statements are good ones. true. Yeah, great ones. Uh, yeah, I, fa- actually, did, did they say Faber? That's a great one. I didn't yeah, think of, actually. Yeah, Faber's is fa- California Love. That's a perfect one. Yeah, that, that that should definitely be honorable mention for sure. Yeah, I mean, and, and a definite top five if we're just you know narrowing it down to fighters for having one song and that being their theme. I mean, right. That's a synonymous yeah. one. She also says, I give Mayhem Miller and King Mo honorable mentions. Yeah. 
for a memorable fact, the memorable factors there. Uh, sure. My man Aaron Fisher, I like this. He's got number five, King Mo. And remember, King Mo started his career in Sengoku, coming out with like yeah. chicks and a crown. And uh, he is number four, Mayhem Miller. Number three, Yoshihiro Akiyama. I like number two and one. They're on my honorable mentions list, Jordan. Let me tell, tell me if they're on yours. But these guys are legends as far as Japanese showmanship. He is number two, Akihiro Gono. And oh, one, Gono Gen- had a great one. Oh, yeah. And number Genki one, Sudo. Genki Sudo. Yep, you knew it. You yeah. know it. Yep. You got any Gono or Sudo ones that jump out to you that you like in particular? Uh, they have a lot, obviously. Sudo, Sudo was the one I scratched to put in uh, to put in Brock Lesnar. So yeah, I, uh, I I have him on my honorable mentions. Like Sudo is one of those guys where you could argue the number one spot, and many people will give it to him. But again, mm-hmm. this was a guy like it was kind of just before my time, so I probably right. I missed all the, I missed all the like usually I at least like have at least a couple live experiences from my option at least for this kind of a topic. And yeah, Studer didn't have a Gono man. Gono, uh, my favorite Gono one that almost made the list I had was the UFC '94 against John Fitch, where he comes out in drag with yeah, his. Uh, with I remember his, that. Yeah, <laughs> giving their high yeah. fives to the audience, and they're all dragged up in dresses. <laughs> uh, all right, Blake B. Borgino is Lee Murray when he comes out like Hannibal Lecter. Oh shit! Yeah, I forgot about that's that. That's old school. That was before my time, but that, that's a good one. Um, Akiyama. Is he in prison still? I think so. Isn't he supposed to be out soon? I, I should really look that up. I, I'm just surprised uh, Guy Ritchie no, didn't probably do gonna, a movie yet. Yeah, he's probably going to try to get another fight with Anderson Silva, so who knows? Actually could be appropriate now, sadly. Uh, Mayhem <laughs> Miller and his ladies. Okay, we covered that one. Robbie Lawler and the Death Stare. <laughs> sure. There we go. And uh, Lawler, Lawler's on my uh, my honorable mentions coming out, but mine's specific. It's when he started coming out to uh, Sam and Dave's "Hold On, I'm Coming." Like, oh, cause great! Because that's like, oh, because that's like, and not only is it a badass song, but it's like, oh shit, he's he's telling you, hey, hold on, I'm coming, I'm coming to beat that ass. So, yep. And it's a classic song where it was like of an era where you wouldn't expect a fighter to have as a walkout song now, right. much but it's a tough walkout song, badass. Right? And the fact that the most toughest. Death Cold Bob Lawler stare is coming out to that song makes it It's like, oh shit. That's one of my favorite parts of rewatching that great fight of Robbie Lawler Roy McDonald is Robbie mm-hmm. Lawler's walkout song, especially knowing the uh knowing how the right. fight goes. You're just like, oh my goodness. Um Oklahoma Knowles has Ronda Rousey, Chris Weidman. Chris Weidman underrated. That won me over his his walkout song. And uh Walk back down. Tom Petty, yeah. Yeah, it's perfect. And, and you know what? Rousey's a good one because that's that was that one set the tone for her, man. She came out she was kind of uh, given the the fucking I don't I'm gonna fuck you up face. She kinda uh, you know what's crazy is like it happened a couple times where the walkouts took longer than the songs. <laughs> it's like with Ronda Rousey. So that's one crazy thing. But that's a good one. That's another one where I associate the song with a specific fighter. Yeah, absolutely. And Jersey Mike's also with you on the Brock Lesnar. And uh, last two he has is Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz's classics. Yeah, those are yeah both classics. Yeah, Chuck used to come out to some DMX himself too, I believe. He did. Yeah, he did. He came out to DMX for a while. That's right. Uh, John John Rico has a uh, Diego's march to the ring with a cross in his hand. That's a classic one. Oh, the Vampire Hunter. Yeah, that was my. Diego the Vampire Hunter, I tried to get a shirt made of that image, and the person was like, is this copyrighted? And I was like, nah, just just make the shirt, and they wouldn't do it for me. But yeah, Diego coming out with the, the cross in his hand. I always call it Diego the Vampire Hunter because he's got the cross out in front of him it's screaming, perfect. yes, yes, yes. <laughs> like it's, it, yeah, I agree. That is a perfect one. And if we're just going by like uh, – <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to say personal favorites but because I feel like I, I – 
threw some stuff in that was like important and significant. But right. if I'm just going like straight up favorites, that might be my number one. It's just Diego being an insane person. That's awesome, dude. Great, great pick there, John John Rico, who also says he always liked Aldo's walkouts, and and I will give him that. Aldo always had that his jitteriness. Not even so much the song, it's just kind of that that jittery kind of antsiness. You're like, oh, he's ready yep. to explode. Look at him. Look at his hands shaking. That was always a cool yep. one. And then last one here, Wanley Tran, Sakuraba is Mario. Sakuraba had some cool ones, but that one was <laughs> – I feel <laughs> like did. I was on – That I, one's great. I'm like, did I eat mushrooms? What, what's going on here? Uh, I, I'm glad. <laughs> there we go. Here's an honorable mention, like Tom Waller playing homage to Hulk Hogan. And under my honor- That was a very good one. Oh, that was a great one. Under my honorable mentions, I just put Tom Waller and I put all of them with a question mark. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're all they're all fantastic. Tom Waller is hilarious, and I, w- I want him to get back into fighting more. His Dan Severn one, he is my favorite weigh-in if we were doing top five weigh-ins. His Dan Severn where he, he, he oh. shoots and takes down his cornerman before he hits the scale. It was hilarious. Yes, that was great. That was the best. That might have been UFC 102. He has Phil Baroni in general, which I agree, underrated walkout Phil Baroni. Um, yep. Just the, the sunglasses, the this, the, you know, the leather jacket. Like I, I got to see him in his last UFC walkout at 125, uh, fight Brad Tavares, and of course I was rooting for Bad Extreme Couture. And by then, you know, Peroni was kind of on his downfall, so you didn't expect much from him. But when that Bad right. to the Bone song hits and he comes out, like going with, with like he's Brett the Hitman Hart with his leather jacket and glasses and his right. hands out, like ah yeah yeah, yeah. Like, you're get, I was getting pumped. I was like, oh fuck, I'm not even a yeah. Peroni fan. I'm getting stoked for this right now. You're like, I'm about to watch the best ever. Ever. And then, of course, Wanley Tran has Genki Sudo as Buckethead. I like the Genki Sudo oh, yeah. one um, and the same, same same event as Akiyama, that, that, that K1 Dynamite. He does this crazy <laughs> one where it's like the Indian headdress and there's this – Yeah, a, the headdress and all the people with him and stuff. And one of the better choreographed dances if we're like going to be like you know judging on the choreography yeah. of his dance. It was really well done. And he had yeah. a, a, Akihiro Gono as DJ Gozma. I'm not sure which, which Gono one that was, but Gono is a solid choice. Yep. All right. Uh, was there any before we get out of here? Was there any things that that weren't mentioned on our list or the submissions and transitions you want to give a quick shout out before we go on your list? There, uh, just re- just real fast. A couple that I always thought were really cool. The uh, Talus latest coming out to Bob Marley, I think, is pretty cool oh, um, nice. because I think that's another one that's that's it's more of a like. Uh, listen, there's bigger problems than I've got coming into this fight, and I know that. So coming out to Don't Worry, like that's it's pretty fucking cool, man. Because if you ever talk to Talus, he's a super chill dude. He's a really laid back guy. So I think Talus coming out to Bob Marley is pretty cool too. And then also, it's it's hard to like. I feel bad if I was his opponent trying to mean mug him and this dude's just coming out smiling, listening to Bob Marley. It's like, fuck, how could you be mad at this dude? You know, Um, I think that one's great. I also had guys like Sexyama. uh, I wanted to talk about him. If you didn't, BJ Penn, uh, Robbie Lawler had those all on there. A couple non-specific ones, but Rose Namajunas has come out to run the jewels a couple times, which is fucking great. That she, she obviously has some good taste in music, her and, uh, and Pat Berry both because run the jewels, uh, killer Mike, Fantastic! Some of the best uh, new hip hop that's been coming out lately. Uh, that's I don't want to say it's underrated because I think everyone knows. Every, everyone who's into hip hop knows Run the Jewels. But Rose coming out to Run the Jewels is cool. Uh, Condit Carlos Condit always has a good walkout song. He he tends to switch it up. Uh, nice. I think his interests are cool, but he. He often comes out to Rage Against the Machine or Tool, just something that's like, fuck yeah, man. Like, he's always coming out to cool shit. Uh, and then the, the number one that I really wanted to put on there for really selfish reasons was when Fabricio Verdum came out to the last The Mohicans theme song, because I've always thought that that's the coolest fucking music. And I'd wanted to, if I was good at editing video, I would always make a, I've always wanted to make a highlight video and put that music behind it, because I think it's so fucking epic 100%. and it builds up. But, uh, 
yeah, Verdoom came out to it, and it was fucking awesome. So uh, th- that's that's all I've got, dude. I'm glad you uh, I'm glad you you brought up that Verdoom one and. Um, Another one, uh, yeah, someone else on here, I'm trying to find him now, but someone said some old school Carlos Condit, uh, Rage Against the Machine can never go wrong. Especially, you know, you're talking about Arco Arena or those smaller WEC event arenas. When I would, you know, first got on who Carlos Condit was, that was badass. Uh, Excuse me. Little burps. Had a little bit of, I was sipping on a nice Wolf Putt Session IPA, Golden Road from... LA. Yeah, a little shout out to that brewery. But um but yeah, uh just a couple I'll run down. Matt Brown's UFC one ninety eight entrance because he fought the crowd on his way out. That was pretty cool. Yep. Uh, yep. This is kind of an underrated one of recent time, especially Reebok era. It's so rare to find any, but um Alistair Overeem and the Rotterdam versus Arlovsky, that headlining event, he had a badass intro if you remember. They had the the Dutch natural anthem or whatever, and then it goes into that house music cool. where he's running in and the bum 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 bum. It was just oh it was so epic. Like it really it, it it had that pride feel to it almost too, you know, and that was a really underrated I feel uh, ring entrance. Um, other ones, uh, the best one I think of the Reebok era, where you can't, you know, the creativity is so limited. But the best one, it actually almost made my list, is Jorge Masvidal coming out the fucking Scarface. Oh, that is just it's the awesome. shit. It's so yeah, perfect. You want to talk great. about perfect for the character, right? Fucking love that dude. Oh yeah. yeah. So I know me. I mean, you are both Masvidal fans. Um, of course, the Gra- the Gracie train, right? Hoist Gracie. That's yeah. a classic yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. A definite yep. honorable mention. Um, and I have the song here, Shogun, but Shogun's early UFC because there was still, even amongst jaded hardcores, you were like, Pride's pretty much dead. We're not getting Fedor or whatever. These guys aren't the same. They, they, all their, you know, remember the performances weren't adding up when they went over to the UFC. It was kind of that era. Yeah. And even Shogun had some yeah. really bad performances. He had a bad performance against Coleman and he lost to Forrest. Forrest. But after that, I remember he turned it up and he was coming yeah. out to that house music that it was one of those times which was cliche as it sound. It really made me, it was the only time where it really made me feel like Pride never die. And that was Shogun right. when he would come out to Sail by Armin Van Buren. Like that yeah. was just whole. Oh, that was that's just an awesome song. Like it's very shoot box. It's very Shogun. I can't explain it, but just go listen to it. And then the, la- the last one of my honorable mention, one of my favorites. I, I for, for some reason it was burning in my head that this was a Demo Borgia song, but it was actually Death yeah. Clock. And that's Camden fucking McCurry Camden McCurry at I UFC that, 91. Yeah. Brock Lesnar versus Couture. And he opened the main card, where it was really random that he got the main card opening spot against Dustin Hazlett. And this is Camden McCurry 170 when he's still balding somehow. Even though he's super young.